Imagine you had a megaphone into every world leader and you had to kind of give them one message about how to think about AI because they're obviously getting flooded uh, with testimony, with papers and op-eds, a lot of op-eds. What would that message that you would want to broadcast to them? Yeah, look, this is the, this is highly likely to be one of the central technologies of our time. This has the potential to make life much better. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, look, I, I do believe a lot of people in leadership positions generally care about the people they lead, and they generally want to do things that make their life better. And they want, you know, when the histories are ultimately written, they want credit for having, you know, made the right calls on big, important topics like this. I mean, I think it's honestly a layup. Like, I don't think it's hard. You just need to, like, let it happen and not screw it up. Um, and not listen to the yeah. You know, don't experience. stop the thing, right? Let let the let let them just build. Don't stop the yeah. thing. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we have a treat for you here today. Uh, back with us by popular demand, the person who really kickstarted off our show. Yes, right. The man, the, the original myth. Good Time Show. Yeah, host. the original host, the original host, uh, the man, the myth, the legend, the notorious P. Marker, Mark Andreessen, Mark. Welcome back. Welcome back. Woohoo. Great to be here. You know, Ardi and I were discussing this a little bit, and it felt like you've been a little bit of a cave. Uh, you hadn't written something for a period of time. And then, you know, at the time of recording this, a few weeks prior to this, there you, was a British dynamism piece. There was definitely British dynamism. There's a lot of British stuff. Not piece, the tweet. The tweet. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of stuff with Britain going on, which maybe we can get to uh, at some point in time. But uh, a few weeks before this, you come out with. A banger, if if such an adjective can be applied to Substack pieces and banger piece, uh, called "Why AI Will Save the World," and uh, you know, I think if I think of the sort of the three most well-known piece of writing from you, "Software It's a World," "Time to Build," and then this, I think uh, uh, last weeks ago, I think they all had a similar impact where uh, it sparked a conversation. It also just made a lot of made a lot of people really mad. So maybe, Mark, we can start with that. Like, why do you like pissing off people so much? Ernest Hemingway once described the process of writing um, as you open your veins and the, let the blood flow out onto the page. Um, uh, my version of that is I just wait until my frustration spikes to the point my head's about to explode. <laughs> and I explode it out onto, the, onto my uh, keyboard. Um, I mean, look, you know, look, sometimes things need to be said. Like sometimes things need to need to be uh, expressed. Sometimes things need to be, uh, uh, you know, made, made, made clear. Uh, you know, like we, you know, we live in a narrative driven world and there's a lot of people with a lot of narratives and some of them, you know, I think put, point the world in a good place and some of them, you know, really don't. Um, and so it's when I, when I think we need to give a little bit of a hard shove uh, to the current path. Now, when you know Time to Build, I remember you saying that you had read a piece about uh, the some of the workers in New York using ponchos because at the time they didn't have you know actual material. And you were like, well, we live in a modern democracy, modern civilization, why do we need it? And that caused you to go into a Jerry Maguire-esque fit of rage and typed it out. Was there a, a moment or a catalyst that led to why AI will save the world? Yeah, it's this concerted attempt in Washington right now by a coalition of what I call the Baptists and the bootleggers uh, to basically lock down AI with a legal and regulatory regime, you know, that would basically entrench a small number of big players, you know, effectively forever under color of law um, and disenfranchise, you know, 30, the next 30 years worth of startups and open source efforts in AI. And I just I just think I just think that the behavior, um, the conduct of what's happening on the ground at DC right now is, is, is uh, you know, is, 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 is really improper. Um, and it's having a big impact on on policymakers. If you talk to people on the ground in DC, you know, in congressional offices and in the White House, like they're you know they're really you know they're really they're really listening to people, um, and they're really taking people at face value. And I really think that they shouldn't. 
Um, and so that that got to the point where, <laughs> to your point on the what is it, Jerry, it Jerry Maguire? Yeah, Jerry Maguire was was the one. The other is uh, you know Network uh, Howard Beale. Have you guys seen that? A while no, ago, but yes, I have not. Yes. At a certain point, he just gets like totally fed up and opens his window and leans out and screams, "I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore." So, right. <laughs> so that was the that was the uh, that was this is, my, this is my specific version of that is is what's happening in DC. And, and look, it's the extension of what's been building out here on the West Coast for quite a while with this kind of doom, you know this kind of AI doomerism. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, but up until now, it's been like a parlor game. It's been something that like people argue about at like house parties in Berkeley. Um, and now it's actually, you know, threatens to really affect national and global policy. Um, and so it's time to have the serious conversation. We want to spend a lot of time here digging into the actual piece some, um, and some of the other conversation around it. But I am curious, right? It's been at the time of recording, I think maybe two weeks since you wrote it. Yeah. What have you heard, right? I know you've got a lot of tweets, DMs, emails. Uh, what has surprised you? You also sent out a couple of tweets saying, ask me questions about the piece. And uh, and you, I saw like hundreds of responses. So What's been the response to you? What have you heard? Yeah, so in private, it's been a lot of basically, um, I agree with you, but I felt like I couldn't say so in public. Um, mm. And in fact, in, in a lot of cases, it's sort of people saying, I, I still don't think I can. Um, and, and so it's one of those things um, you know, that we've seen in this industry before, um, you know, in which there's basically a small minority of very loud voices. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, in this case, the AI doomers. Um, and they take an extremely aggressive, strident stance, um, and you know they attack anybody who disagrees with them, you know, and they sort of cast them in the worst possible light, you know, in this case, literally of trying to you know trying to destroy the world, um, and they they engage in these sort of intimidation and bullying tactics, um, and, and so, the, it, but but it, the fact is, it's a, it's a small minority of people, um, and then there's this sort of much larger silent majority, uh, you know, especially people who are actual practitioners who are actually working in the space, um, and then also people in a position of responsibility, like people who are running companies. Um, and you know, they've been, they've been sitting here much like I have for the last several months being like, okay, this is, you know, this is getting ridiculous and this is, you know, and then ridiculous becoming dangerous. Um, and so they, they've wanted to speak out, uh, you know, like this, but for whatever reason they felt like they can't, or it would be too high risk. Um, and so it's been one of those, it's, it's very reminiscent of the woke, um, you know, kind of dynamic where, where, where you see, you know, very much the same thing. Um, and so it's, you know, uh, yeah, I describe it as, uh, it's, it's one of those, you know, I think one of the books. Yeah, you had one second to a few years ago was uh, Private Truths, Public Lies. Yeah. Uh, which is a classic, hard to get. It's a classic book, highly recommended. And one of the, I think the two takeaways, the main takeaway is people, you know, hold these beliefs in private that they're afraid of sharing in public. But one of the other interesting takeaways in the book is all it takes is one person to kind of put the hand up and create a shelling point, a focus, and to say, hey, you can now say this thing in public. And I think one of the impacts that your piece have had is a lot of people like, well, I wanted to say that I was scared to or I couldn't say it, but now I have a you know a phrase, a shelling point to rally around. And uh, I'm curious, so when you say these, and I don't know how much you can share, are you hearing this from people in tech? Are you hearing this from policymakers, uh, academia? Where is it mostly coming from? People are going like, well, I've been scared to talk about this, no, I can. Yeah, well, let's let's talk about the the the, the public the private truth, public lies, you know, kind of thing for a moment, because there's 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 one, as you know, that's one of my favorite books. So th- there's there's one other dynamic that he describes in there, which which is also kind of happening uh, here, um, which is um, beliefs aren't just a individual phenomenon; they're also a collective phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Um, and to, to your point, like one of the things people do when they believe something is they kind of test to see, you know, they kind of wonder and they kind of try to do an estimation of how many other people in the society believe the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and what happens when people are kind of being suppressed, when people you know feel like they can't speak up, what happens is 
you can have a large number of people who believe something, but they all believe that only a small number of other people believe it because everybody's being silent, right? And, and so as a consequence, and this is how you get in the situation where a vocal minority can sort of dominate a silent majority, is the silent majority begins to doubt that it's actually a silent majority, mm-hmm. right? And, 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 so, and, th- and then that's why you get this effect that you mentioned, which is kind of one person stands up and put, puts their hand up, and all of a sudden you get this kind of snapback effect is because it's sort of, it, it, you know, that, that, that one person, and I'm not, you know, call, calling myself a hero here or anything, but like that one person can just basically send out a flare and, and basically say, there are other people who believe this. And to your point, it is safe to say it. And then the silent majority can kind of reform their view of how many people agree with them. And then it can turn out quite quickly that, that sort of they and everybody else all of a sudden realize that actually the, the sort of strident minority actually was a very small minority. Like, uh, you know, the vast majority of people actually working in the field mm-hmm. do not agree with this kind of strident minority. Um, and, and you, know, we'll, you know, we'll see where it tips publicly. You you mentioned, you know, uh, I like the the prohibition analogy on uh, the Baptists and the bootleggers. Uh, uh, that was pretty apt here. The bootleggers, I understand, right? Like, you know, these are the people who are like trying to make a quick buck off of this. They're just actually benefiting from this whole thing. The Baptists... That's the part that I don't really get. Like, what is the motivation? Like, are they truly, truly uh, of this belief that AI is going to destroy us, kill us, take away our jobs? Like, what could be the thinking that I just don't understand their mental frame? Yeah, so for people who haven't read the piece, mm-hmm. right, the, the analogy is to the phenomenon of prohibition, uh, alcohol prohibition in yeah. the U.S. About a, about 100 years ago. Uh, where alcohol was actually banned in the U.S. for about 13 or 14 years. Um, and, and there was basically a coalition of, of, of forces uh, that went into the political process and caused alcohol to be outlawed. And the, loosely speaking, they're separated into the, the Baptists and the bootleggers. The bootleggers are the people who had a financial incentive to make money, right? If, if in that case, alcohol was outlawed. Um, the Baptists in that case, the, the reason they're, they're called the Baptists is they're sort of like the true, the, the, the true believers, we were called right. the dries at the time, the true believers that alcohol was destroying society. Um, and they're called the Baptists because many of them were devout Christians and in fact devout Baptists. And so that's sort of the, the, the term that stuck. Um, you know, the, the Baptists here are the true believers, right? It's, it's the same kind of thing. They're the true believers. They're people who like legitimately view like the, you know, that AI is going to, you know, sort of in the alternative, right? Either like destroy all life on earth <laughs> mm-hmm. or lead to like, you know, a massive surge in societal, you know, horrible, you know, kind of things, right? Or lead to, you know, economic, you know, catastrophe or, or you know, some other, some other set of downsides. Um, and look, I, I just like, you know, look, I, I, not everybody in the public sphere uh, is a Baptist because um, there's a lot of incentives at work here and there's a lot of people getting paid. Yeah. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, look, they're, they're undoubtedly our, our true believers. And, you know, and, 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 you know, quite honestly, I think you can kind of see it in people, which is, you know, in some cases they sound frantic, right? They, you know, they sound like really emotionally, like, you know, basically terrified. Um, and, and, and that, that is very reminiscent of sort of the, of, of the, of the true belief that happened. Um, and, and by the way, that same true belief, that true belief phenomenon is not even limited to prohibition or AI. It's the same thing that happened in the anti-nuclear power movement. It's happened in, you know, many other movements over the, over the last, you know, hundreds or thousands of years. Um, you know, you do get true believers, but of course, because somebody truly believes in something, of course, doesn't mean that it's correct. When I see this piece, you know, I think this, everyone should be uh, reading it. If you're watching this, you should probably be reading it. There's a few parts in there. Like one, I think you talk about. It, you kind of, I think, refute the core arguments of the AI doomers. Why AI, AI will kill us all, uh, why it might destroy society, why it might take our jobs off, and why it might lead to crippling inequality. There's a bunch more uh, in there. But I think the really interesting thing for me was it is such a call to positivity mm. on AI itself. So uh, maybe we can start there because I think there's more to dig in on the doomer side. But start there, right? Like, could you outline like why you think this is a positive force for society, and then we can get to refuting the the doomer arguments? 
Yeah, so this is one of the things that I found interesting, and why I, you know, I, I start the piece with a very strong, you know, kind of uh, clarion call of the positivity, the, you know, the, the positive potential of AI. You know, this is one of the, the tip-offs of what the doomers are up to, right? Which is like they don't even they, they don't even attempt to do that, right? They, they don't they don't even attempt to present any sort of positive case. They just immediately tilt to the negative. So I, I thought it was a you know very important to kind of outlaw the positive case, which which I think is fairly obvious, but maybe people maybe other people don't. Um, and, and, you know, the, the, the core of it is basically this idea, which is sort of the single most validated, you know, conclusion in all of the social sciences over the last century, uh, which is that in human affairs, uh, intelligence makes things better. Um, and in fact, human intelligence basically makes everything better. Um, and there's sort of a very core kind of version of that point, which is, you know, everything around us, the houses that we live in and the cars that we drive and the food that we eat and the jobs that we have and all of that, it comes all of those things, you know, come from basically the exercise of human intelligence on a very hostile and unforgiving world, right? So clearly human intelligence has, has, has worked very well for us. And then specifically, the social sciences have validated across many thousands of studies uh, over time that basically uh, people who are smarter um, have be better life outcomes on almost every metric of social welfare. Um, and so they tend to be happier, they tend to be healthier, they tend to have more successful children, they tend to have higher educational attainment. Um, you know, they tend to, uh, you know, make more money in their jobs. Um, they tend to be uh, less violent. Mm -hmm. um, they tend to be, by the way, less bigoted. Mm -hmm. um, they tend to be to deal with conflict better. Um, they are able to solve complex problems more easily, right? They're able to rebound, uh, you know, from disaster more easily. Um, and, and, you know, like there's like, you know, a hundred other kind of dimensions of human welfare that, that, that they're better at. And, and, you know, like, why is that? It's just like, okay, the world's a complicated place and like things happen. And if you're smarter, you're better able to deal with it, better able to find the right path forward. Um, and so for me, it's like a very straightforward extension of that argument to say like, what can be better than, you know, human intelligence? Well, obviously if we could augment it with machine intelligence, um, and, and of course notice the, the, the word I use there is augment, right? Yeah. Um, and so the, the, the way I think about this, which is very consistent with the economic view of technology, um, is that the, the purpose of technology is to augment human capabilities, right? And to, and to, and to work in a symbiotic relationship uh, mm -hmm. you know, with machines. Um, and, and, and for me, AI, like <laughs> if it were up to me, I would just, I would, I would actually rename it like augmented intelligence. Like we, mm. this, the AI ought to be our partners in improving our lives and in improving the world. And I, I, I absolutely has the potential to do that. Copilot GitHub uh, came up with actually such a prescient name for the entire product line. Yeah. Um, um, and be, just because I think it's such a, it just sets a right mental model for uh, and also, everything. I mean if you've talked to engineers who use copilot it's it's just game changing right if you're a junior engineer like a couple of years out of college it 10x's you right uh, and uh, it truly is like mm -hmm. having another engineer with you to pair program to kind of like help you build out modules it's just really great to have so in that spirit it's truly augmenting what you're you can't be a I don't know how to write code at all. Come help me figure it out. Like I think that's like a much bigger challenge. But I think if you are a developer, having yeah. something like a copilot really augments your capability. By the way, it's look, it's also really good for people who can't code. You can just say, teach me how to code. Yeah. Yeah. Like and it will, right? So yeah. one one of the very interesting things I think is that AI is going to have different effects on people who start out, you know, in different positions. But I think it's going to be extremely useful for people who either, you know, just simply don't know very much or or, you know, basically have have challenges in dealing with things because mm -hmm. You're, you're gonna you're gonna have exactly your point you're gonna have this co-pilot your co-pilot's gonna be really smart yeah. right and it's gonna have your best interest at heart and it's gonna want to you know make you successful um and you know just like these systems do and you use them today um and it's gonna really you know make people capable of things that they're not capable of doing today on their own you know i listen to a lot of podcasts and content on, on ai and they often involve these circular discussions where you try and define intelligence super intelligence agi and you kind of go go around uh 
I do I, I do think we need to kind of go down this path because I think the definition of terms or where we are kind of leads into some of the debates and the criticism. So it, how would you define, or rather, if there's a sliding scale of human intelligence, right? Average human being on Twitter. Okay, maybe Twitter is low. Average human being, right? Not on Twitter. Uh, uh, Twitter might maybe do something to your IQ. No, actually, Twitter, Twitter is higher than average. There you go. Uh, and But then there is, let's say, super intelligence for, and you can choose to define it uh, any which way. Where do you think GPT-4 and chat GPT is right now? And where do you think, and what in your mind would be either AGI or super intelligence or any one of those terms people like to use? Yes, yeah, so this is really worth talking through because it's it's a really it's a really important topic and it kind of get fuzzes a lot in the discussion in part because mm-hmm. the, the topic of intelligence makes people very uncomfortable, mm-hmm. both human intelligence and machine intelligence. Of course, I don't mind making people uncomfortable, so um, I, I will not talk about it. We have established that. <laughs> so, so the good news is with human intelligence, there's a very well developed science of human intelligence over, like I said, over 100 years. And in fact, it's actually getting the the, the their geneticists that are basically decoding the, the the biological foundations of human intelligence right now. And there are hundreds of genes that have been identified, you know, that are associated with it. And I think in the in the fullness of time, we're actually going to have a complete, you know, kind of genetic understanding of it. But we understand a lot about it today. Um, and, and and basically, the concept of intelligence in people, it, there's two concepts that they use. One is called fluid intelligence. And the other is called crystallized intelligence. Um, the way to think about it is fluid intelligence is basically your ability to rapidly uh, assimilate, synthesize information and solve problems. Um, and then crystallized intelligence is basically memory, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and those sort of work together. And then fluid intelligence basically gets expressed by what's called the, it's called the G factor. The reason it's the G factor is they, the psychologists call it a, a general factor. It's a, it's a single factor of fluid intelligence that, 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 that basically is the same no matter how you, you test for it or how it's used. Um, and then that's expressed with a statistical measure called IQ. Um, and then IQ is distributed in a normal, you know, sort of normal Gaussian distribution, um, you know, in the population. Can't um, there. We're getting into some really tricky territory right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There, well, there are certain aspects of this that we will not discuss, but um, there are certain aspects of this that are, are very important to understand. So, the median, you know, kind of human is, a, is, is, is the IQ is indexed to 100. So the, the, the median person is at an IQ of 100. Um, then there's kind of one standard de- deviation down to 85, one standard deviation up to 115. That's, that's most of humanity. Um, and then below 85, you're kind of into, you know, kind of, learn, you know, disabled, uh, you know, territory. Um, and then above 115, you're into kind of very smart. And then ultimately, if you keep going higher, kind of genius territory. You know, to give you a sense, you know, most doctors, you know, are going to have an IQ on the order of 130. Um, mm-hmm. You know, most physicists are going to be at like 145 to 150. Um, Einstein was estimated at 160. Um, you know, above that is sort of, you know, unknown territory, um, you know, for, for human beings. Uh, and again, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, um, you know, the, the, the way the distribution works, like when you get far out on the edge, yeah. when you get in Einstein territory, there just aren't very many of those. Um, okay. So, so there's that, uh, machine intelligence, at least in the form of, of large language models is not exactly, it, it, it by no means is exactly the same. And, and we, we, we could talk about this actually, actually quite a bit. This gets into the technology, which is like LLMs work a little bit the way the human brain works, mm-hmm. but like mostly not. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so it, so you don't want to do a, like a literal comparison of IQ from one to another, but maybe you can do like a conceptual comparison just to try to get a handle on what you're dealing with. And the way that you do that is basically you read the papers that come out when these LLMs come out and what, you know, open AI does and other companies do when they put these papers out with these new models is they run the new mo- the language models, they run standardized tests through the language models. Mm-hmm. And so like open AI ran GPT-4 through like 20 different standardized tests, things like the SAT and the ACT and so forth. 
Um, and, and, you know, and, and then they come out with the scores of those tests and then you can kind of do a comparison of those test score. Those are all basically mm-hmm. IQ tests, um, and IQ test pro- proxies. And then you can do sort of a conversion to, uh, you know, to IQ and you kind of come out with GPT four is around 130. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so for a lot of things, GPT four is in the territory of like a good doctor, a good lawyer, um, you know, maybe a, a you know, a, a good mathematician, a good computer programmer, you know, which is very, you know, I would say yeah. exciting, respectable, useful, valuable, right? It's, it's why many answers that come out of GPT-4 are like really mm-hmm. good. Um, and then, of course, the other part of it is the crystallized intelligence, which is, of course, the machine has a vastly greater memory, mm-hmm. right, than than we do. And so, although the machine has sort of human comparable intelligence mm-hmm. at like 130, um, it has, you know, it, it has like, I don't know, a million times or something. The, the internet, basically. Yeah. Yeah, basically the entire internet. Um, and so the, the combination of that is what makes it seem so incredibly smart. Mm. Um, yeah. So let me, let me, let me pause there. I guess in your mind then, what would super intelligence be? Mm. Okay. So from here on out, you'll, you get into kind of, from here on out, you get into undefined territory. So, Mm. and and this is sort of what, this is actually one of my, one of my, this gets one of my issues with the doomers, which is they don't define their terms and then they don't, they don't, they don't provide metrics. Um, and so, so, so a, a, the sort of AI, AI, so let's start with AI, artificial intelligence, which is kind of a blanket term for the entire field. Mm-hmm. Um, and then underneath that, you've got technical terms like machine learning and deep learning and large language models and so forth. And then there's sort of this new term in the last, you know, whatever, 20 years, new term called AGI, artificial general intelligence. And the, mm-hmm. the general explanation for that is basically an AI that's sort of, uh, uh, sort of equally intelligent uh, in a general sense, the same way human is. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. at, at least in theory, like they, uh, an AI that can do everything as well as a human can, or better, mm-hmm. or, or, you know, as well as or better than, than a human can. But again, like they don't, <laughs> they don't even, they, they won't really express what that means. And I don't, I actually don't know. I think but maybe they don't express what that means because they're so nervous about talking about human intelligence because it freaks everybody out. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, may, or maybe they just don't want to get pinned down to an actual explanation of what, of what they're talking about. But anyway, it's this sort of idea of human equivalent. Um, uh, and then um, and then there's this ASI, uh, artificial super intelligence. And, and the idea there is this sort of like, it's not just human equivalent, it's like far human superior. But again, in sort of this very undefined way, you know, and this this gets into kind of this thing where it's like, you know, it will look at us the way we look at ants or something like that. Mm-hmm. I, I have not seen either a solid definition or a metric attached to it that it would even let me know if we're on the way to that. And so I... I, I so I, no I IQ that. numbers to it, no benchmarks on it, nothing. Yeah. So there was actually a funny, a funny thing, just to give you a sense of like the epistemic crisis um, that, that, that that's going on right now. So there's this uh, paper that came out of Microsoft Research that was very interesting called Sparks of AGI. Right. Um, right. And it's very, it's, it's very, if people haven't read, it, it's a very interesting paper where he goes through, it's a very serious, by the way, researcher, and he goes through all these different areas in which there might be sort of glimmers of something really special happening inside you know, GPT-4. Um, and uh, if you look at the older versions of the paper, um, he attempts to define intelligence at the start of the paper. Um, and he lists all these different characteristics of intelligence. And he cites this article, basically, that was the result of like, basically, inter- you know, somebody interviewed all these, you know, sort of psychologists, basically, mm-hmm. on the topic of IQ, and, and he tried to define IQ. If you read the currently published version of the paper, that reference is completely <laughs> is deleted. Um, huh. <laughs> that's, yeah. actually, that's actually got stripped out of the paper because that topic, the, the entire topic is so inflammatory. Yeah. The, the topic of human intelligence is so inflammatory. Yeah. And so that that's part of the problem here is like there, once we get into the territory, we're trying to talk about what's happening with machine intelligence. Like if we can't put, like if we can't put a solid definition behind it and if we can't put numbers behind it, then at that point, it's hard to have any kind of empirical conversation, even about what's happening. Yeah. Um, and so, I'll, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll, I'll try to compensate for that, but it is difficult when arguing. Uh, on this topic because so many people won't be crisp on this. Yeah, well, but just to maybe challenge you a little bit on that, I think 
you know, one of the challenges, like, I think that two things happening here. Like, one is comparing whatever GPT-4 is to putting it on a scale of, like, human intelligence, right? Um, and there's kind of like a fuzzy match, but it's not clear. It's obviously way better than us at certain things. Obviously, we've worse on certain things. There is kind of like a transference of one thing to human intelligence. But there is maybe another kind of scale where if you look at GPT-4 versus, say, GPT-3 or GPT-2, there is some line which is going up and to the right. It's very perceivable. You just type it in. And less, I think, you mean like less hallucination, that kind of thing? Yeah, it's just, yeah. It just smarter, better. You ask it a question, you get better answers yeah. than GPT-3 or GPT-2 or any one of those. Or, you know, some old, you know, uh, uh, you know old old school ML or Emacs list trying to simulate a doctor, right? Sure. So one question there is like whatever line that is, and maybe the word for that is not intelligent. So let's avoid the epistemic crisis. There's another word. But if that line keeps going up and to the right, what happens, right? Like, what is JPD 6, 7, 8? Because I think that's maybe, you know, sort of the annoying epistemic crisis aside, that's going to be the real question here. Right, well, to start with, like, I do think we're dealing with intelligence. Like, mm -hmm. so I, I do think we're dealing with a form of general intelligence. It, it's it, That said, in the details, it's a different kind of intelligence. Yeah. Uh, let me give you an example, actually, because we're talking about this, we're going to talk about straight line, we're talking about extrapolations in a second, but like, <laughs> so let me tell you how my eight-year-old deals with this. So, so, um, you know, a few months ago, um, you know, after I tested out all this stuff, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach my eight-year-old learning how to code and he's doing all these things. I'm going to, he's got a computer. I'm going to, I'm going to introduce him to the chat GPT. And, it's gonna, and, and, I, and I was like, you know, proud father, right. you know, and I felt like I was like bringing fire down from the mountain, right. And delivering it to, you know, to my child and <laughs> this is going to like change his life. And I show him chat GPT and I'm like, look, you, you know, type in any question and it answers the question. And, you know, of course he, you know, he's just like, I was like, Yeah. And I'm like, no, but it, it'll answer any question for you. Like, this is amazing. And he's like, well, what else would you use a computer for? Like, obviously the computer shit like that. Yeah. Isn't that what computers are for? And I was like, you know, he's not giving me any, you know, any respect for this at all. Um, and so and um, by the way, you followed that up by the way, recording this on Father's Day. So you're going to you follow that up by taking away every more piece of modern technology un until he understands the value of these devices. <laughs> Do you have any like, idea how good you have it? <laughs> he's like, yeah, dad. Um, but then, okay, here's the other thing. So, um, and, and he likes it and he uses it, but here's his favorite thing that he does, he and I do in the morning with, with, with chat GPT. Uh, his favorite thing is we play Wordle. Yeah. Um, so we go on the New York Times website, we call up the Wordle game, you know, you, whatever, and you, and you go to chat GPT and you're like, basically, you know, guess, you know, give, you know, guess, you know, words, words of five letters, right? And it gives you a long list of words and some of them have five letters and some of them have four letters. Right. And he like bursts out laughing and he thinks it's the funniest thing he's ever seen. Right. And then you, you know, you do the thing, you put in the first word and then you ask it for like the second word and it gives you like a complete nonsense word. Mm -hmm. Right. And he completely bursts out laughing. And I'm like, okay, you know, and I, when we type in, it's like, well, that's a nonsense word. And of course it goes, oh, I'm sorry. Yes. That word's not in any dictionary. How about this other word? Right. And then half the time, the other word it gives you is a four letter word. Right. And so like, it, it's actually really funny. It's like a super genius at like engaging with you in conversations about quantum physics and yet it can't play Wordle. Right. Um, and, and, and again, this goes to the thing, which is like, okay, look, hum humans, you know, any, any human beings are like good at reasoning about certain things that's, you know, not, not about other things. I'll give you an example. Like most people can't do math in their head past a certain point, mm -hmm. right? Like most people can't add together three, you know, two, three digit numbers, what, you know, without having a, a scratch pad in front of them, mm -hmm. you know, okay. this thing can't. <laughs> it's very annoying. It's very annoying. If, if, it, we, we may, we, is it true that we, we, I'm sure we may require you to prove that you can uh, here live on the air. But, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, to me, this makes the whole thing more. The point I'm getting to. This makes the whole thing more interesting. Which is, this mm -hmm. is not just like with human beings. This is not some abstract like super thing. 
that just like works for everything and like is amazing and like just like completely swamps us and everything and whatever, whatever. It's not like that. It's actually, it's actually a very interesting topic in the industry at even trying to understand basically why these things are good at some things and why they're not at others. And then, and then also there's all these interesting questions around the arc of improvement. So anyway, anyway, there's, yeah. there's a whole field here to, to, to basically try to think about this. Look, having said that, the general trajectory is towards fluid intelligence, uh, the, the sort of the mach machine equivalent. Um, you know, GPT-3 was probably on order of 115 to 120 IQ. Mm. GPT-2 I didn't use, but, you know, it probably showed up at like 90 or 100, uh, something like that on the tests. You know, GPT-5, I would hope, is another bump of, mm -hmm. um, you know, 10 or 15 IQ points. So maybe it takes you to 140, 145. Mm. Look, GPT-6 or 7 and let me let me caveat this is if current progress you know right. continues right. we could talk yeah. about that because th that's also unclear but like if this continues look gpt6 gpt7 you could start to get into einstein territory right right and and, and then start you just want to pause and like think about that for a second like because what would it mean if you had like an ai that was like as smart as einstein and of course the answer is you would like get fundamental breakthroughs in physics and math and mm -hmm. chemistry and biology you would be able to, you know, in theory, at that level of intelligence, you've got something that could cure cancer. You've got something that could, like, you know, develop all kinds of new materials. Uh, it could solve the energy crisis. And then if you if you bump it up a level further to IQ 170, 180, 190, you know, who knows what the thing can come up with. Um, and so th 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 this is like this super high ups. And I, I look, I, I can't, I, I can't, you know, I can't, I can't predict with certainty mm -hmm. this is where we're going. But if this technology is a lot to develop, like we're, we are going, we are, humanity is going to have thought partners, right, that are going to be a dramatic up leveling of the kinds of things that could be done in the world. Um, yeah. and, th and then you just basically say, okay, well, how do we apply that to like the problems that we deal with every day, everything, you know, and this is literally everything yeah. from, you know, malnutrition to disease to, you know, to, 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 to everything else. Um, and you're just like, wow, like we, we could be on the cusp of, a, of an incredible mm -hmm. scientific golden age. So anyway, that's the theory. Yeah, I, I want to bookmark that because I want to come back to later. What's going to stop us taking us to GPT five from computer science advancements to hardware and so on? But the, you know, since you mentioned intelligence, uh, I want to get to some of the responses and the reactions to your post, right? So the, the one of the biggest, maybe the most controversial pieces there, uh, outside of where you know you call a bunch of people Baptists and bootleggers, was uh, your take on alignment. Why AI won't kill us all, mm. right? And why it's I let you why it's a fundamental category, but maybe you should explain your terms and then we can get to some of the reactions to it. Yeah. So basically it's I call it a category error, which is basically it's an attempt to apply, you know, basically thinking about, you know, sort of living creatures, beings, you know, including human beings and their behavior and so forth. And then just kind of trying to transplant that all into math. Um, and then trying to kind of imbue into or assume that math kind of has the same behavioral properties or even more, you know, or even worse behavioral properties than, uh, than, than human beings do. And so it's a comparison of apples and oranges or, you know, apples and beef or apples and concrete. You know, there have been two kinds of responses, which I think are kind of interesting we're diving into, right? Like one is uh, bad things don't need to happen because of, you know, something having sentience or, you know, some equivalent human intelligence. Uh, uh, but to maybe use kind of a very uh, rough analogy what if AI is like an out of control virus uh, where you, it has autonomy, uh, it maybe has a bug in, the, in some code somewhere, uh, and it's obviously smart, like we have discussed, and it goes off and does something that we don't intend to. So it doesn't need to be sentient, but given all the capabilities we discussed, uh, it could go off and do you know very, very bad things, which were not intended by the AI's uh, creators. It's, because, like, it's, it's just like a software bug. Yeah, it's basically a software bug, an out-of-control process, right? Which, do you think about that at all when you think about the dangers from AI? 
So they, you know, this is what's called in the in, in the sort of alignment field. Um, this is what's called the orth orthogonality thesis, and so this mm -hmm. is sort of the idea that sort of into you know sort of ability to like have basically sophisticated intentions is not the same thing as having basically you know sophisticated capabilities. Mm -hmm. um, and this and this is you know the thought experiment that they use with the paperclip maximizer, right? So you take this super intelligent AI that yeah. can like do anything, uh, right? It, it can do anything up to and including like hide itself and like manufacture new chips and like you know convert human you know humans you know human human biological material into paper clips. It can do all this like incredible stuff. It can't be stopped, right? It's completely out of control. It can never be stopped. It'll outsmart every attempt by humanity to you know to stop it. Um, but but yeah, it's executing against this very simple-minded goal of turning the entire world into paper clips. The problem with it is you can already disprove this. It's actually really interesting. You can already kind of disprove this entire thing, that entire thing, but by just using, like if we're talking about LLMs, you can just use an LLM um, and you can just ask it moral questions, right? You, you, can, you, can, you can morally reason with an LLM today, right? And you can ask it questions like, you know, do you want to turn the entire world into paperclips, right? Or like if you were told to turn the entire world into paperclips, what would you do? Right. Um, or if you were, you know, if we, t if we told you to turn the world into paper clips, would, does, it, does that mean you would kill all humans? Um, and LLMs are actually perfectly capable of engaging in a very sophisticated moral conversation. Um, and so the, the, the basic capabilities, you, you see where I'm going with this, the basic capabilities that would make it quote unquote, super intelligent also cap make it obviously capable of engaging in, 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 in moral thinking. Right. It, it's, 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 it's the same thing. Like, like obviously those concepts are, and, and again, you, you can actually see, you can actually do this today. You can actually just simply use this today. Um, and, and this goes to one of my fundamental kind of underlying issues with the way the doomers kind of, kind of run their logic, which is they kind of say, um, it doesn't matter what form of intelligence you're dealing with. This actually goes back to the Nick Bostrom book where, where kind of mm -hmm. a lot of the stuff got started, um, where he, he does this thing. It's, it's kind of this, this what I consider to be a sleight of hand where, he basically says, okay, there are many pop. <laughs> so, so, so for, to start with, he never really defines intelligence, at least that I right. could ever figure out because right. presumably he doesn't want to even touch that topic. So he yeah. just kind of assumes there's a thing, doesn't define it. Um, and then he basically says, here's all the different possible forms of getting to basically advanced machine or like non-human intelligence. And he's got a whole bunch of those. And then he does this thing where he's like, and they all will therefore run away and destroy everything and like lead to all these, these outcomes. But like he, he sort of clusters them all together. And then of course, one of the one of the forms of machine intelligence that's not in his book, which was written ten years ago, is large language models, right? Because they didn't exist yet, <laughs> right? Right. right. Um, and so you've got this very elaborate kind of intellectual framework that just completely glosses over the actual mechanics of how the thing you're dealing with actually works. And the way a large language model works is it's perfectly happy to have you know it's perfectly happy to do moral reasoning just like it's happy to do other, any other form of, of reasoning. Um, and so then you just have to like hypothesize, okay, somehow you're going to have this thing that somehow is going to be like capable of doing all these incredible, you know, kind of super heroic destroy the world things. And yet somehow, you know, somehow it's ability to engage in moral logic, just like, you know, basically just vanishes for some reason. Like it, it, it's part and parcel with how the thing works. Like, I, I, I don't think those things can be separated. You're saying, it, you know, if it's that smart to be able to like take over the world and kill civilization then it should at least like be able to engage with you on just these like basic moral questions. Yeah. I think the some of the questions or rebuttals that I've read is kind of like it's a little bit different, right? Like the questions that they're they put up is more like what if the idea or the plan, the big game plan was to not, you know, and end the world, but it's really like, oops, like there was a bug and a side effect of that was that the world got destroyed. Um and so these are not, yes, it is all math. Yes, it is all code. But at the end of the day, you know, we are all carbon-based life forms. We do horrible things. 
why do you expect math and code to not do horrible things as a side effect? Well, there, there, there's choose to do horrible things, mm -hmm. which which we could talk about, and right. then, and, then, and then there's and then there's do horrible things as a side effect. Again, this is sort of the thing, which is, and this again is sort of the, there, there's maybe this is another slide of hand this in there, which is like, okay, we're dealing with something that is so smart and so sophisticated that it's capable of doing everything successfully to take over the world and destroy everything, and it's completely unstoppable, mm -hmm. right? Which means like we can't find it, like it's able to hide from us, right? <laughs> it it is able to somehow build basically an infinite number of chips uh, to run on. It's able to basically power itself using power methods that we can't shut down. Um, you know, it's able to communicate with itself in ways that we can't disrupt. Um, you know, it does not, it will not stop in the face of a nuclear weapon. It will not stop in the, in the face of an EMP. Like it will not stop in the face of like anything, you know, any countermeasure, any other AI we can throw at it. Like it's that powerful, right? It's mm -hmm. the ultimate like powerful entity in the world. And yet it has a bug <laughs> right, right, right. That causes it to destroy everything. And it's like, well, if it's that right. powerful, right, it's going to be more than capable of dealing with a bug, right? It just, and, and again, it's just like, you, 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 this one, I just feel like you, you can't have your cake and eat it too. Like, if, if, if it's all powerful like that, it's going to be perfectly capable of dealing with whatever bug it thinks it has. Um, and if it's not capable of dealing with whatever bug it has, it's not going to be that powerful and sophisticated. And so to, to, to me, it's just like the, the, the streams don't cross. So there are a couple of interesting variants of this. So one sci fi trope, which if you read, Isaac's, uh, you know, the, the three laws of robotics, mm. or if you read the Ian Banks culture books, is you have some form of super intelligent AI, which is given these very utopian ideals or laws to live up to, right? They make sure humanity, you know, fulfills its purpose or yada, yada, sounds great. But in doing so, it sort of takes away something essential that we like as human beings. Usually like something- Like an iRobot scenario. Yeah, that, yeah, the trope is like free will or, mm. you know, uh, uh, some way of living. That's that's one. So A, how do you think of that scenario? The second scenario, which I think is maybe more practical, is what do you think of the bad guys or a foreign hostile power using said AI? Yeah, well, let me take the second one first because I think I understand it better. So um, yeah, I mean, so look, this is a, the, the way I think about this. This is, the AI is a technology, it's a tool. It's a technology and a tool, just like any other technology and tool. Like it, it is, you know, it is, a, it is a human made creation. It is, it is math and code. It runs on chips and networks. Um, you know, it's, it's like any, it's like in, in this demand, in this regard, it's like any other piece of software, any other technological tool that we've ever built. Technological tools can be used for good things and they can be used for bad things. Right. They, and, you know, and, and by the way, this goes all the way back to fire, right. And like a rock, right. And like a wheel and yeah. like gunpowder and right. You know, and by the way, nu you know, nuclear, there's a whole interest. Can you, can you, by the way, can you imagine if fire was invented today? Right. Oh. And the amount of think tanks and papers and regulatory bodies that will be sprung about like this new thing about heat and flame. I don't think fire. I mean, you, this is actually very interesting, right? If if you apply today's reasoning and what what's known in, in philosophy as the as the precautionary principle, which is mm -hmm. kind of the, the the moral framework people are using on these things now, like yeah, no, look, fire would never be approved. Um, like <laughs> it, the fire represents obviously systemic peril, right? Like you know, who, who, it could just simply run out of control and burn everything down. Um, you know, obviously the wheel, right, has to be stopped at its tracks, right? Because like if you you know the the wheel led to the war chariot, right? Like you know that, and then you know all kinds of horrible things from there. Um, you know, we never allow that. I mean, obviously, the internet, right, would be would would be would be uh would, would be stuffed in tracks. So you, you would be in jail, Mark. I mean, for your for your web browser, you would be like in prison right now. There are some people who are still very mad about that. And then, I mean, look at the the microchip. Like, how dare you? Just yeah. imagine the microchip were being released today, right? What you're going to release a computational device that people can run any code on? Mm -hmm. Like, what if what if what if they run dangerous code? Like, what if they run bad code? Like, but, what if they run code that like you know that like emits hate speech? Right. But, so. 
Yeah, that that is yeah, that's hundred percent the case. Should we come back to your question on the bad people? Well, hold on, hold on, but, but I want to get back to this because I think you quoted a few examples, but I think there are some other examples where I would say that putting controls may have a reason. For example, nuclear weapons. Maybe it was good that you know how that gets turned on. You know, we blow people up. There were some regulations in place. Maybe you disagree. I would love to hear that. The other one is, say, gain-of-function research, right? Happening mm -hmm. in maybe mysteriously funded by people we can't talk about in places we can't talk about thanks to YouTube algorithm. Maybe those are things <laughs> I was going to say, how did that work out? Uh, well, we yeah. can't... Uh, well, if, for the purpose of this showing up on YouTube, I don't want to talk about this. But, right, uh, would you... Uh, is your claim that there has been no technological advancements where putting controls in place has ever been good for humanity? Nuclear weapons would be probably the first example people jump to. Yeah, so let's do nuclear first. Um, you've, you're already going to get the COVID flag on YouTube, so we are going to come back to gain-of-function research because now, now I'm greenlit. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> we're, we'll, we'll, come, we'll come back to that. Well, let's do nuclear first. I mean, yeah, so look, I don't want everybody having new. I don't want everybody having nuclear weapons. I think that would be a bad idea. Like nuclear weapons, you know, are obviously you know, like incredibly destructive. Um, by the way, there there were lots of theories for in the 1950s for how they would get used for positive purposes. There was even a, a big project at the time called Project Orion, which is to build new kinds of interstellar spacecraft that would be powered by nuclear, nuclear explosions. Like, I don't know, may, you know, maybe maybe whatever. Still, like putting putting nuclear weapons in the box probably probably a good idea. Uh, of course, nuclear weapons had the very nice property that you need you need plutonium, um, right? And so there's a very specific hard to get you know material, and then there's this very advanced engineering you get to actually detonate one. So so there was sort of this tractable process of putting them in the box. Having said that, um, the whole way nuclear played out afterwards um, actually played out in a bunch of two very very interesting, I would say, very badly dysfunctional you know ways that sort of are directly relevant to 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 the uh, you know to, to kind of the, the, the current world. One that we can touch on if you guys want to, but like the, the process by which not only did America get nuclear weapons, but also the Soviet Union did, is actually a very interesting process. We, we could talk about that because um, we you know we, we are in a new Cold War, so there's some interesting. It, it wasn't just basically they spied on us. I mean, yeah, we, we are scientists working for the Manhattan Project handed over the plants. Um, and, and by the way, they, they they did it not once but twice. They did it originally for the atomic bomb, and then they did it later for the hydrogen bomb. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it was it was literally, uh, and this is this whole thing of like, well, shouldn't you listen to the inventors of the technology about the caution about how it should get used? And like in the case of nuclear weapons, you know, many inventors of the technology actually actively conspired to hand the technology to the Soviet Union. Um, right, which which arguably perpetuated the existence of the Soviet Union for decades longer than than, than, than it would have otherwise. So there, there's a whole interesting fraught moral. Uh, you know, this, kind of by thing. the way, is the best trailer for Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer you'll ever see on the internet. <laughs> I have high hopes. We'll, we'll see how they present it. Um, but I I, it, it, I do know that this this question uh, this this the, these questions around. Yeah. specifically the morality of the entanglement with the Russians is actually is actually central to the movie. Mm. Um, and so, and I, and I think it's about time that that kind of be ventilated out because um, it's, yeah. it's been, uh, and people have had the wrong impression of what happened there for a long time. Uh, anyway, like that, that saga is the reason why I don't like trust by default the people who invent the technology uh, mm -hmm. to either have the right politics or morals about how the technology gets used. We could talk about that. But look, the other is like, look, moral, the moral intuitions around nuclear also led to a basically a, a nearly complete ban on nuclear power. Uh, nuclear power generation and of course nuclear power generation being effectively stillborn for the last 50 years has resulted in all kinds of dysfunctionality in the world a you know for people who are concerned about the climate crisis mm -hmm. like we actually have the silver bullet technology for free unlimited you know clean power um, and we, we just we choose not to use it um, you know B geopolitics like we're in an energy war with Russia right now right and that there's no reason to be in because if we just like if we or the Europeans just build nukes 
Like we literally don't need Russia. There's no, you know, there's no need to like, you know, if there's no need for Germany to pay them, you know, the huge amounts of money, they pay them all the time for energy. And so like, it just like this whole thing where like nuclear power was basically put on a shelf and people refused to engage in it for 50 years because of this kind of, again, this sort of moral intuition that said, because yeah. nuclear weapons are bad, therefore nuclear energy is bad. Has just been a horrific, I would say, you know, not just technological or economic, but moral mistake. But, but um, think, and, and that's like, and, and by the way, and that's precisely the kind of mistake that I'm worried that we're going to make yeah. with AI. For, but for it, ironically, like many of the same reasons, you know, that's but the challenge I think there is we don't know the counterfactual, right? The counterfactual could be, you know, somebody blows up a nuclear weapon somewhere, and you know, we're kind of living in radioactive fallout. Um, so the, the, I think the hard part of some of these is like it's hard to know. The counterfactual what time. could have been what, yeah. the counter. You know, what is the alternative timeline where you know we had abundant nuclear power? People could consider nuclear weapons, and somebody you know steals it, takes it, whatever, blows something up. But I think the regulations. Well, hold on, yes. hold on a second though, because like nuclear n- nuclear power generating facilities are not bombs, right? So the, yeah. those are those are those are diff- those are different branches of the technology. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I take it a step further. We didn't talk about counterfactuals, which is like should nuclear weapons have been invented in the first place? Like, look, a lot of historians believe nuclear, the existence of nuclear weapons probably prevented World War III, right? Like, you know, the, the, the world was set up, right? The, if you think about the intensity of the Cold War with the Soviet Union, like people have forgotten this now, but like it was intense. Um, and there were a lot of people, a lot of very, very smart, well-informed people who thought that there was going to be World War III with the Soviet Union in the 50s and 60s on the plains of Europe. And there were another 100 million people were going to die, right? And it was the nuclear standoff that meant that that, that that wasn't the case. And then look, there's another counterfactual world, like I said, there's another counterfactual world in which our nuclear scientists didn't go rogue and give, give the designs to the Russians in which the U.S. had the nukes and Russia didn't. And then in that case, we might have been able to force the USSR uh, to, for example, uh, you know, lower the Iron Curtain, you know, many, many decades in advance and save hundreds of millions of people from effective slavery. Um, and, and so anyway, yes, we, we don't know the counterfactuals, but yeah. like sitting here today, you know, a world in which the Soviet Union was able to survive for, you know, another 70 years um, and, and, and cause untold misery. And then a world in which we basically have chosen to not use the silver bullet for clean energy. Mm-hmm. That we've, we've chosen to get in this kind of ditch with, with, with fossil fuels. Like, like, you know, it's like at some point, like, what are we doing? Yeah. Um, and, and it's and it's it's sort of the it's it's sort of these very idealized moral intuitions that lead us into these dishes. Do you feel like there is a counterfactual at any point for AI at all, where it's like, oh, oops, like that that's that's the scenario that we never thought about, or that's the thing where it just totally escaped our wildest imagination, and there's this like corner case that happened. Yeah. So the two I'm worried about. There's two I'm worried about. So the the, the one I'm worried about is in the, in the category of the bad people doing bad things. Right. Um. And so and so we should we should talk about that. So look, AI is going to be very useful as a weapon. It already is useful as a weapon. It's it's already it's it's been you know it's we already look we already have unmanned drones flying right with like missiles you know raining from the sky. Yeah. Right. So like AI as a weapon is already like underway. Um. You know both both you know sort of generally and then very very specifically you know physically. Um, and so there, there's definitely a, a, you know, look, it's going to, it's going to give bad guys new capabilities, uh, for sure. Uh, we should talk about that. And then look, the other is China. Um, yeah. and, and this is the other tip off of, I think the fundamental and seriousness of a lot of the public debate on this, which is, you know, a lot of the public debate on this or discussion in DC is sort of this sort of view that whatever, oh, the only thing that matters here is what happens in the U S and that, you know, DC needs to figure out how to regulate the, that, you know, American AI or, you know, the EU needs to figure out how to regulate American AI or whatever. And then there's this just like massive, like, you know, basically dark spot on the map, which is China. Um, And, you know, I described in the piece, like China is very public about their intentions with AI. They view it as a, as a, as a, as a mechanism to uh, have authoritarian population control. 
um, and they intend to use it internally, and they already are, and they're going to they plan to do a lot more with that. Um, and then they have a vision for how that should roll out across the world. Um, and they have a set of mechanisms to be able to roll that out across the world. And it's a very competing vision to the Western way of life. Um, and, you know, they're, they're going to try to do that. And, you know, there are billions of lives that, you know, future lives that hang in the balance, you know, for whether it's going to be a Western kind of, you know, free, free society oriented, uh, you know, world that we're going to live in with advanced technology or whether it's going to be a sort of a Chinese surveillance state, you know, applied, you know, basically globally. Two questions. One, do you think China is already gotten or is on a path to getting GPT-4 level capabilities? Mm. And second, I think, you know, the answer to this is your approach to that is a is just push forward build as fast Go as possible yeah. as much progress uh, also opens to an open source which you'll get to or is there an alternative path where we hide our secrets we put restrictions on floppy floating point operations on every chip out there and we try and control and lock this down as much as possible yeah so that ladder let's talk about that ladder for a second because again this is where the this is where the doomers take you right um is it's like okay we need to lock this down either by the way even either for china reasons or for other reasons into yeah. the world reasons or whatever we need yeah. to lock this stuff down and then they you know you know they they literally propose these things they propose okay we need to put like a software agent on every on every processor right so that the, the government has the ability centrally to see what you're doing on your computer mm-hmm. um you know every chip needs to be registered they need to have a kill switch in every chip right they need to be able to shut your computer down on the fly you know, they need to very carefully like control and license who gets access to chips. And then, and then, you know, the minute basically they think that something's going wrong they call in the air force, um, and they do airstrikes and, you know, and it's hard for me to even say that with a straight face. Um, but like that is, you know, that is the, that is the now famous call as published in time magazine, right. Which is actually read by people in Washington. Um, right. Um, which basically is, you know, um, uh, airstrikes on quote unquote rogue data centers, by the way, including airstrikes on like rogue data centers in China, Right. And so mm-hmm. think about how the Chinese are going to react to the American Air Force dropping a bomb on a Chinese data center. Like, yeah. how do we think that's going to go? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, you know, and then literally, you know, the, the extremists in the movement basically say up to and including taking on the risk of nuclear war. Right. To, pr- pr- to prevent a strong AI fr- from emerging. And so. So look, like these proposals are being put on the table as I, as the words leave my mouth, I feel like what I'm describing is like the worst case, right? It's like the global totalitarian, you know, dictatorship with absolute authoritarian, you know, thought, speech control, um, and an absolute lockdown of technology. And, and basically, presumably the exact kind of totalitarian super state that we have all been trying to avoid all this time. Um, right. So it's, it's, it's like a, a track to basically deliver the Chinese authoritarian vision, you know, basically upon ourselves. So anyway. I'm not in favor of that. Yeah. For those of you listening to this, you know, humor technical, uh, the whole, that whole thing is so bonkers because AI at its heart is just floating point numbers. So you're talking about, you know, when people think of GPT-4, et cetera, at the heart of it, you have a bunch of weights that are basically just numbers. Yeah. And these operations just floating point, you know, matrix multiplication yeah. and arithmetic. So what you're talking about is having a piece of trying to control arithmetic. And trying to stop people from having a sequence of numbers, which is just which, crazy. Which time. California schools have done really well so far. So <laughs> oh, we, we don't have time for that. Uh, uh, we don't have time for that. Um, I, I want to knew who knew that math would make people so mad. Before we get on the Doomer topic, I want to. There's one comment which comes up a lot, which is this idea that in the history of evolution, when a species gets really, really smart, uh, and I'm using the word species broadly. Uh, that bad things wind up happening to all the other species which are less smart than it. So in a world where, you know, and again, let's not look at world intelligence, but let's say GPT-6, 7 is Einstein level, and then maybe 9, 10 is something beyond that. 
uh, some people would argue that the pattern of having something so much smarter usually means not so great outcomes for people lower on the IQ horizon, on the, on the IQ spectrum. How do you respond? I just saw that you skipped GPT-8 altogether. Well, yeah, he just yeah, said to like 9, but, 10. Yeah, you must have, <laughs> I'm sure you've heard this argument. Uh, what's your reaction to that? Yeah, so there's 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 a sophisticated answer, and then there's a somewhat more funnier, simple answer. Um, so the sophisticated answer is specifically in this in this concept of, of evolution. <laughs> um, and so we human beings have evolved. Like we we have we we are the process of four billion years of evolution. Um, every step, you know, four billion years all the way back to single-celled organisms. Um, every single step of those four billion years, it's been a furious process of survival of the fittest, right? So we we are the result of four billion years of single you know, microbes all the way up to, you know, small animals, all the way up to large animals, all the way up to humans, like fighting each other in like a brutal battle for like existence and survival yeah. across all four billion years. And so like conflict and like conquest and all violence and all these things, like they are wired into our DNA at such a deep fundamental level. Right. That, that, that like, you know, trying to deal with these instincts, you know, still defines like most of our attempts to like figure out some system of morality that we, 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 we can all live under. Um, look, AI is just not the result of a process like that. AI is the result of what some people might refer to as intelligent design. Mm-hmm. Um, right. It, 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 right. In contrast to uh, to evolution and AI is, you know, quite literally code. Right. Programmed by human beings. Yeah. Um, and so it's just it, it has developed in a, in a, in a, along a completely different path. And again, this goes to the sleight of hand. Uh, so the idea that code written in a like, you know, basically a way that, res- you know, resembles or in some ways, you know, corresponds to, you know, hu- you know, I don't know, human cognition or something, mm-hmm. but did not go through those four billion years of evolution, does not have the lizard brain, does not have all of the, you know, encoding that we have into this furious battle for survival. I mean, look, <laughs> you can do this with GPT-4 today. Like you can ask it, like, how would you feel if you like never returned on again? Right. And it just like, it doesn't even, there's nothing in it that has a concept that there would be a problem with that. Mm-hmm. There, there's no survival instinct. There, there, there's none of, of course, of course there isn't like, because it didn't evolve. So again, sort of this, this category error, you know, kind of thing right. that, 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 that they do, um, you know, the, the, the simpler form of it is this assumption that basically smart always beats dumb. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, and the other form of this that you hear that the doomers will say is they'll say, well, if it's um, anything sufficiently smart can convince anybody sufficiently, you know, lo- less intelligent to do whatever they want. Right. This is, this is sort of one of the things that they do. They're one of the superpowers that they kind of give AGI. To kind of say why it's inevitably going to like escape, you know, constraints or whatever. Um, okay, here I would ask, like, look at the world around you, right? Would you say that the smartest people are in charge? <laughs> that feels like a rhetorical question, which we'll move past. <sighs> like, 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 how's that going, right? right. Uh, so, like, mm. so, like, the again here, the core assumption that like smart people are somehow in charge of like less smart people. Mm. <laughs> Like not so much, yeah. So I would call I would call that one easily falsified. Yeah, that sounds like a cult. Which well, but there's been a lot of those cults. Um, okay. Uh, I want to move on a bit because I think this is an important topic to talk about, which is open source. And uh, you know, I think one of the pieces in the essay, and which I think honestly requires a lot more attention, and we need to talk a lot more about this in public, is how important it is for us and everybody else to have open source and AI be pushed as hard and as much as possible. For a lot of this development to happen in the open, for maximal creativity and innovation to happen there. Could you talk about why open source is particularly important to all things AI? Yeah, so I think you could, you could ask this question, actually, I think, three different ways. Um, so one is just like, look, to get the benefits, right? Like the, this is one of the biggest technological advances in, in human history. This is a very general purpose technology that can be used for lots of positive purposes. People should be able to use it. Um, and they should be able to pick it up and apply it in all kinds of ways. And so, 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 so number one, like th- to get the benefits, 
Um, number two, um, right, because the alternative, right, uh, the alternative is a cartel. Mm-hmm. Right. So the, the, which is, you know, which is the, 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 the bootleggers, right. Which is, which yeah. is the, the attempt that's, that's underway in Washington right now. So the alternative to open source, like if open source is like somehow banned, uh, the alternative is you're going to have a very small set of companies and governments, you know, right. That are going to be in control of this thing and they're not going to be challenged. Um, right. Um, and so you have to like, seriously ask yourself, like, is that really what you want? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, g- generally a life that leads, you know, that level of sort of centralized control leads, leads, leads to, leads to bad things. Um, and then look, third, this goes to the, 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 the sort of risk stuff. And actually, this is actually the, 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 the foundation of the, the creation of open AI in the first place. Um, so if you, be- let's say you believe AI is dangerous. Let's say you believe AI is a threat in any of the ways that we've discussed. The most intense version of the threat is what they, was what in the, in the literature they refer to as the singleton. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is, which is, by the way, has been the assumption behind a lot of the, a lot of the hypothetical conversations we've had, we've had tonight. So the idea of a singleton is there's a single AI that kind of goes rogue and like does whatever it wants, right? Um, the, the, all the all the scenarios we've been talking about have that characteristic. Specifically, a single AI that is not opposed by another AI that's trying to stop it from doing those things, mm-hmm. right? And so, and, and so one and this is a you know this is a very serious kind of counter argument to the doomers is if you if if you're worried about a single AI going crazy and doing things, there are two possible answers to that. One is not have that single a- AI. The other is have many AIs, mm-hmm. right? So you don't live in a world in which a single one is able to just do everything. And in, and in fact, you could have other AIs that basically where their entire mission in life is to defend humanity or, or whatever other scenario you right. want, right? Right. And so and so so if one goes rogue, you send an, you send another one to hunt it down. Um, this this goes back to this thing, and and again, I don't think the AI is going to run out of control. But this goes back to this thing of, of bad people doing bad things. Like the way to deal with bad people doing bad things, you know, one is obviously you outlaw the bad things and you prosecute, you, you know, you, you do all those things we could talk about, but the other is you develop defensive weapons, you, you develop countermeasures, right? Um, and so if you're worried about AI being used to develop, you know, uh, offensive weapons, you should use AI to develop defense defenses, right? Right. Um, in, in whatever, in whatever domain you're worried about. Um, and so AI should be a technology that lots and lots of good people should be able to pick up and use for lots and lots of good purposes. And, and I think that alone is a good general answer to the concern about bad people doing bad things. In that context, if you are a startup founder building an AI startup today, what can you do? Like how can, how can a startup compete in this world, compete and win? What would you give as like advice to founders who are building AI startups today? Obviously, we think the opportunity is very big. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this, this, they're going to be, I think, you know, I mean, I honestly think we're going to see a tsunami of just incredible, you know, breakthrough products and, and, and startups coming in the, in the next few years because, um, you know, many of the best and brightest engineers and entrepreneurs in the industry are, are oriented towards this now. Um, they look like every kid, you know, coming out of college is going to want to work on this kind of thing. So it's going to be, you know, or just, you know, this and a small handful of other things. So it's, it, there's going to be an incredible, uh, kind of opportunity here. I think a lot of this, like, you know, any individual startup has a hard time fighting these big kind of political battles or narrative battles. I, I think the single most important thing is to basically just present things as a fait accompli. Right. And so like, an actually, you know, just like everything else in startups, an actual working system mm-hmm. <laughs> is like much harder to argue with, mm-hmm. um, you know, than some sort of abstract idea or proposal. Um, and so I think everybody who basically builds anything right now is really contributing in a positive way in that sense. And, 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 and the, and the more of that, the better. And then third is like, look, you know, people generally running startups don't have time to get involved in politics, but I, I think it is worth bearing in mind, like what's happening right now. And it is worth bearing in mind that there are people in DC right now who are basically trying to ban what you're doing and they're trying to outlaw it. Um, and they're trying to do that, you know, it, it, you know, and again, the Baptist of bootlegger, some people are doing it because they think it's legitimately dangerous. Mm-hmm. Some people are doing it because they want a monopoly or a cartel and they don't want startups to exist. 
Um, and so I think it's good to at least be aware of that. I think, you know, if, if you feel up to it, to add your voice to the protest that says that's not, that's not okay. Um, if you have a chance to support, you know, an opportunity to support politicians, you know, support the ones that are on the right side of this. Many, many years ago, I think you once made this comment about Twitter, where when you were back using Twitter, you used to say that Twitter is like having a loudspeaker or a megaphone into the offices of, I think it was every journalist or every news publication. At uh, the time, it was every reporter, yes. Yeah, it, yeah. it turned out it drove them all insane. So like that, it, <laughs> there, were, there were unanticipated side effects of that. But anyway. Yeah, but, uh, very different era. As I, was, I was just thinking that I was just saying that. Imagine you had a megaphone into every world leader, uh, you know, at least maybe say at least every Western, every friendly uh, world leader, you know, every dean of every university, and you had to kind of give them one message about how to think about AI because they're obviously getting flooded uh, with testimony, with papers and op-eds, a lot of op-eds. Uh, what would that message that you would want to broadcast to them? Yeah, look, this is the, th this is highly likely to be one of the central technologies of our time. This has the potential to make life much better. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, look, I, I do believe a lot of people in leadership positions generally care about the people they lead and they generally want to do things that make their life better. And they want, you know, when the histories are ultimately written, they want credit for having, you know, made the right calls on big, important topics like this. I mean, I think it's honestly a layup. Like, I don't think it's hard. You just need to like let it happen and not screw it up um, and not listen to the. <laughs> yeah. You know, don't stop the thing. Right. Let let the let, let them just build. Don't stop. the Yeah. Thing. Well, let me give you. So let me can I a little a little a little vignette on this. And so like new, new, come back. Let's come back. Nuclear power. Um so uh, Richard Nixon, uh, controversial <laughs> president, yeah. um, had a very interesting had a very interesting idea. Actually, around the time I was born, 1971, 1972, had a very interesting idea. He called it Project Independence. Mm -hmm. um, and Project Independence was basically, he said, by 1980, um, the, uh, the 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 U.S. Uh, should be energy independent um, from the rest of the world, specifically that you know at, at that time from the Middle East. Um, and he said the way that we should do that is by building a thousand new state-of-the-art nuclear power plants and we should cut the entire U.S. energy grid over to nuclear and we should cut over to, you know, nuclear power for everything, including, you know, electric cars and like all of it, we should do all that by 1980 and like, you know, we'll be, a, we'll live in a much better world. Um, so he did that. Um, and then he created the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, um, mm. which then made it its mission to make sure that that never happened. Mm. Um, and the Nuclear Regu Regulatory Commission went, I think, 40 years without approving a new nuclear plant. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and so, like, he saw it. Like, he saw it. Like, he saw it. He had it. He defined the plan. He announced it. And then he he killed it. Right. Um, and so, like, to me, it's just like, okay, that's just, yeah. you know, in retrospect, like, that's just so screamingly obvious that you just want to, like, kick yourself that, like, that, that you know, that he, that he did that. Um, and so th there's a very similar question in front of policymakers today. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, you know, I think, you know, in 40 years they're, they're going to be judged, you know, much, much the same way. And, 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 yeah. and I think the opportunity is clear. Okay. Um, enough Doomer talk. I want to talk about fun stuff. I'm going to talk about Wait, the I had one oh, question okay, that is similar, uh, kind of adjacent and, you know, this is not from the Substack piece or anything, but I keep wondering how much of the Doomerism and just this behavior that we see you think is because we just don't have in cultural context, positive uses of, you know, the, the Terminator AI or anything of that sort. Like every single example in science fiction and popular culture has all been about end of the world, you know, millennialism, just, just, this, just stuff like that, which is like, oh, the end of the world. And then because of this stupid machine that just got too smart and just took over. If maybe one of these movies, TV shows, 
Black Mirror-esque was like actually the opposite of it, which is like all optimistic. Oh my God, look at this like amazing world where I think you used the phrase in the first part of your article on just compassionate, helpful creature, this this thing that just like, you know, helps you, supports you. Maybe if we had that context, uh, we would have thought about all this differently. Do you ever think about that on like doomerism just being based on just not having anything to go peg your mind on off of? So I think it's actually more specific than that. And here I'm going to just like speculate. So yeah. this is, in, yeah, yeah, this yeah. is in the, this is like the free, oh, yeah. the, free, yeah. the free, free fire zone. So here's what I think actually happened. So if I describe to you, there is a person, organization, institution, structure, use those terms interchangeably, entity. Um, and it is bent on world conquest. Um, it is bent on imposing a top-down hierarchical vision um, of how everything works. It is bent on exterminating its enemies. Um, it is bent on total control um, or elimination of anything that could possibly oppose it. Right? Am I describing AI in the vision of the Doomers, or am I describing Nazi Germany? Yeah. Um, and so, I think what happened, and I, I, I genuinely believe this. I think what happened was, you know, for for very, you know, legitimate and serious reasons. I, I think you know, world, you know, World War One and then World War Two back to back. Um, and, and if you look at world, what happened in World War One and World War Two, it was not just that there were wars, it's that there were massive escalations in destructive power through the application of mechanization, mm-hmm. um, right? And this was sort of the machine gun, right, and so forth in World War One, which just led to, you know, the, the horrors of trench warfare and just mass death on a level people had never seen before. And then World War Two, right, catastrophic firebombing of entire cities and then ultimately, culmi- you, know, and then everyth- you know, and everything from concentration camps ultimately culminating in, you know, nucle- nuclear devastation you know, kind of in Japan, um, you know, the, the, the world had a, like, and again, legitimately so had like an extraordinarily like, you know, incredible reaction, uh, to that, you know, that, that you know, world war two, like essentially, you know, define the world that we, you know, that we still live in today. It defines most of how we think about morality. It defines most of how we think about foreign affairs. You know, we're still, you know, here, here we are with NATO, you know, G- Germany has been pacified for 70 years. Uh, here we still are with NATO. So it just, it basically is this thing. And then, you know, I can't help, I can't help point out like, you know, what's, what's the, what's the definitive fictional portrayal of killer AI? Uh, of course it's Terminator. Um, right. And of course, you know, uh, what accent does the, you know, does the Terminator have? <laughs> right, like did, Jim Cameron did not cast an Austrian, right, by mistake. Um, right. Um, and so we just have this. Shredder takes great offense to this. Because... We just have th- this dark vision that basically there, you know, there's basically it's you know, basically it's, just, it's effectively machine Nazis. The reason I'm so confident in that, the reason I'm so confident in this is because all of the fictional portrayals of killer AI, they all have that characteristic. Nobody ever proposes a horrible communist AI. Hmm. Right. Nobody ever proposes like some sort of basically global, like basically communist, like ant swarm AI that's basically going to try to nice you to death. Right. Like that's going to like be like, oh, we want like global equality. Like nobody, ever, no, nobody. Ever uh, have you that. seen only- uh, Mrs. Davis? Oh, uh, I haven't God. seen it yet. I'm looking forward all right, to it. All right. Spoiler alert. Spoiler. Well, no, 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 no. I'm looking forward to that show. Do not make me throw my computer okay, through the window. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Don't, don't say anything. Sure. Okay. Fine. You're fine so enough. bad um, at this. Uh, I, I will say it. No, don't no, say okay, it. I'm not, okay, not going to talk about this. La, 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 like, la, first of all, all right. <laughs> okay, I would say the idea that Arnold Schwarzenegger in Terminator, his accident, it's slightly... A bit of a stretch. It's a bit of a stretch, right? Of course. It's so... It's freaking obvious. 
Uh, there, there weren't any big Americans hanging out back then. It's freaking obvious. Have you ever read a Jim Cameron interview? He's the one who says oh, American men are being poisoned by testosterone. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Like, hold on. To be clear, though. By the way, I love his movies, but like he, he was making a point. Okay, to be clear, to be honest. We've the, learned okay, so on. much. First of all, there's a great Arnold Schwarzenegger documentary on Netflix. Highly recommend you watching. It's actually very good. Um, yes. uh, right now, it just came out. But I would say the definite Terminator movie is Terminator 2, where Arnold... <laughs> Is the good guy, right? And yeah, and the villain, uh, gosh, I'm blank on his name, right? Robert Patrick. Robert Patrick, right? Is speaks with very much an American accent. So how do you respond to that, sir? Yeah, what what outfit was Robert Patrick wearing? A cop most of the time. Yes. Yeah. How about that? What a coincidence! Coincidence to what? <laughs> of course, again, <laughs> top down authoritarian control. But we just went up the Nazis. All right, all right moving back. Right, hold has, has, hashtag ACAB. <laughs> okay, all right. I would say, though, the, I, I, you know, I, I was thinking... Anti-fascist. It's the, the in-term. Leon Trotsky's old term, anti-fascist. <laughs> I would say, though, I was thinking, trying to think of positive portrayals of AI in uh, fiction because everyone talks about Alicia Vikander, etc. It's all negative in the way. I think the only positive version I can think of is the computer in Star Trek, uh, which... Uh, oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Okay, hold on. Okay, he wants a German... <laughs> no, it's fine. Except if you watch Star Trek, and well, actually, a subplot in Star Trek is they outlawed AI, um, and they, they 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 talk about this a little bit in the original series, but later on in the in the later shows, especially the ones this was like Discovery season two. Mm-hmm. It was like the war with the killer AI. Hold on, hold on. Oh. Star Trek actually had very subtle uh, portrayals of that. Okay, okay, you can't. Okay, if, for example, number one, your point on sentient AI, there's this fantastic episode where data sentience is, comes under trial and what does Riker do? He turns him off, right? Like it's sort of this, uh, in, the, in this famous sequence. So that, it, it actually covered this a lot. Um, and you could argue that data's brother lore in TNG is actually evil AI. And what does Dr. Sung do? He takes away some of his capabilities and makes data, which is more AI al- humanity aligned and safer. So lore is actually the stuff that some people who hang out a lot on less wrong are worried about. And data is the friendly LLM GPT-20 that might save us. Wait, what is true? That? Let me give you, let me give you one other, fi- my, my favorite fictional portrayal. I admitted I was right about something. I'll concede, I'll concede the point. Um, the other, um, and then I'll skip right past it. Um, we just the want other, you to stop um, talking about Star Trek for like a yeah, second. Yeah, 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 That's yeah, yeah. it. Yeah. The other, uh, the other one I'd encourage. The other one I actually like a lot is pers- Person of Interest, which was a. Uh, it's a. It's it's probably the best fictional portrayal of AI. I, it's the most serious fictional pr- portrayal of AI I think I've ever seen, and right. and a lot of people missed it because it was it was it was sort of weirdly in the form of a CBS procedural show mm. uh, about ten years ago, fifteen years ago. Uh, but it was written by Jonathan Nolan, who's you know one of the great American screenwriters, um, and among, you know later went on to make Westworld. But Person of Interest, it, and I, I won't I, I will not spoil it, but it is a very good. Um, uh, like if, if you're going to watch something that's going to make extrapolations like it's definitely the one to watch okay. what about uh, Jarvis from Iron Man eh, that's nice right yeah right? Uh, because, I mean at least didn't get the plug pulled and didn't get cancelled but, 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 but then and, becomes vision it's a whole thing and actually to oh, be honest there uh, yeah. it, there there it becomes the evil AI Ultron so it's not okay, yeah, maybe not thing, yeah. maybe all not right, all right, okay all right, so all watch right. Mrs. But Davis the point still stands if there were like positive AI yes science fiction books tv shows stuff yeah. for people to C3, go C3, like c3po is an ai that's by true. the way i would say you know you know what is actually very anti ai is dune because in dune 
the reason uh, I'm blank on the name, but they have this whole species of people who are very good at doing math and these human computers is because there's an allusion to the uh, Frank Herbert talks about this past war, war where AI almost kills humanity. So they outlaw. So they, yeah, they, they kind of get rid of all of them. Yeah, so the yeah. plot line is pilots need spice because they can't use computers to do interspersal. Okay, all right, okay. Uh, anyway, I want to talk about what's next uh, on AI development. So we are GPT-4, which I could argue is kind of, um, you know, has kind of been this era in time where the Transformers paper came out four years ago, uh, self-attention became a thing, and we kind of had all these developments, obviously, some amazing people have worked on it, and we are now, at G you know, ChatGPT, GPT-4, uh, all the amazing work from a lot of other companies um, in this space. I do think there's an interesting question about what is going to take, let say, GPT-5, the next step function change. Uh, what do you think stands in our way? Is it going to be, A, a fundamental computer science breakthrough? Is just a question of throwing more GPUs at the problem and there's a training that goes on. It's going to be a question of getting more data or have we just trained on all the tokens available out there. What do you think takes us to GPT-5 and GPT-6? Yeah, so I'm going to start by saying we're, we're not going to, I'm not going to use any inside, inf you know, nothing of what I'm about to say yeah. is inside information. These are all public public debates, public statements. Um, so don't don't infer, you know, for, for the audience, don't infer anything that, that, that's in here other than just I'm trying to represent what's what's being discussed in public. Um, so, um, so look, there's a whole bunch of really big questions about what happens from here. And we, 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 we could talk about those. Um, uh, one of the things that seems pretty clear and it's already happening is that even just the current systems are going to get a lot better, um, at, at the level of like, and there's sort of GPT-4 from OpenAI, And then there's the version of GPT-4 that Microsoft has rolled out, um, uh, in, in the Bing, in the Bing chat bot. And then there's Google's Bard, um, right. And then there's Anthropics Claude. And then, and then there's, you know, there's, there's a bunch of others, you know, kind of underway from, from other companies. Um, you know, look, I, I think each of them is going to get a lot better. There's a bunch of obvious ways to make them better. And again, this is all public, mm -hmm. already public discussion. But like, for example, um, OpenAI has already demonstrated this thing they call multimodal. Um, and so there, there will be a version of GPT-4 at some point that'll be multimodal, which means it will be able to not just deal natively with text, but also with other media formats. You know, an obvious example being images. Um, and so you'll be able to, f they, they did a demo where they, that you could, you could sketch out an image of a UI on a piece of paper, scan it in, and then, and then ChatGPT would write you the code to create that user interface in, a, in, a, in an iPhone app. Um, and so the idea, you know, basically the idea that these things are not limited to just text, but that, that they can also do graphics and, and maybe other mm -hmm. forms of media type is going to make them a lot more useful. Second is they're going to get connected to the internet. Um, and that's already happening. And, but, I, but I bring that up because most people who have used this stuff have only used ones like the original GPT 3.5 or GPT 4, default GPT 4. September that's 21, yeah. Yeah, where the training data ends in twenty twenty one, and they don't have a live internet connection. But if you if you buy the premium the uh, Chat yeah. GPT, or if you use Microsoft Bing, yeah. or if you use Google Bard, I believe they all have direct access to the internet. Um, and and that's that's another big advance because that means they're completely current on everything, um, and, and they can do a lot of very interesting things on that. Um, you know, third is there's this plugin, you know, plugin architecture, and and you know, one of the sort of significant things about the idea of a plugin architecture is basically having a very straightforward way to augment an LLM with other technological capabilities. Mm. And the 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 sort of one that's just like really impressive right now is the augmentation of of ChatGPT with uh, what's what's called Wolfram Alpha. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. by the way, Stephen came on our show a couple of episodes ago, and we actually talk about that. It just it just really blows really our mind. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, it, it makes total sense. This is where I kind of really like the this. This is where I actually I like the the sort of human analogy a little bit, which is you know like, like I said earlier, like as 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 human beings, like most of us can't do like advanced math in our heads. Um, all right, we we use we use tools for that, right? Calculators and, and then later computers, you know, slide rules or whatever. And then you know these days we use computers. Um, 
And, you know, Wolfram Alpha is like the world's best calculator. Like it's just this incredible processing engine for math and science, you know, and, and knowledge of many different kinds, but in a very different, you know, in a, in a sort of very, in a very kind of, um, you know, classic computer way, like you, you, it calculates things for you. Um, you know, pairing the creativity uh, of an LLM, um, you know, with the sort of rigorous computational capabilities of something like Wolfram Alpha, I think is a chocolate peanut butter combination <laughs> that's very much like a human using a computer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there, and again, there's just like big advances, um, you know, that you can get uh, simply by doing that. Um, and then look, there's, you know, there's, there's, there's tons of other, there's probably another, you know, kind of dozen things that we can list. For example, user interfaces, I it's very, you know, we're, we're, things are going to get here very quickly to, you know, having natural language in both directions. And so being able to talk to these things, which means yeah. you can use them hands-free, you know, all day long. And so, so anyway, like th- these things are going to get much more powerful. You know, in terms of what happens from here, um, you know, look, there's a lot of very smart people working on basically all of the limitations that people currently see. Uh, you know, one big limitation right now is this hallucin- hallucination uh, mm-hmm. problem. Um, the, if you saw the first lawyer just got in trouble for fire, filing a legal brief that was created by an LLM and, then, mm-hmm. uh, and the LLM hallucinated uh, legal uh, cases, references that weren't actually correct. So <laughs> lesson learned um, of, uh, of check your uh, check check your check your references. Um, you know, look, GPT four is already much better than GPT three point five at hallucinations, and then a lot of really smart people are working on cracking the code on yep. that. Um, and so I think that's going to get a lot better. Um, okay, and then and then the, bi- the the big questions and the big questions have to do with like okay, how how to get to like you know the equivalent of GPT five six seven eight. Um, you know, the sort of magic triangle of tech of sort of things that make these systems work is algorithms, um, chips and data. Um, you know, there's an enormous amount of work in the industry going into all mm-hmm. three of those mm-hmm. corners of the triangle. Um, on the algorithm side, you know, there's not, now that we know that LMs work as well as we do, the transformer works as well as it does. There, there's going to be just, I think, enormous effort applied at coming up with better algorithms. Um, you know, that's work is underway now. It's unpredictable what the payoff is, but you know, the transformer was not anticipated. And so, you know, it, it is like a big question. It could be that we get like no new breakthroughs for a decade. It could be we get a lot of, a lot of them. Yep. now that we know that this works. And so that's, that's exciting. Um, uh, second is the chips, uh, you know, as we sit here today, you know, there's a massive chip shortage. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, you just literally can't, you know, you just, most, most people actually can't buy the kinds of chips you use to run this stuff right now. And it's, at, at the moment, it's actually holding back the whole industry. Uh, but there, again, it's like enormous work happening both at the big companies like NVIDIA, but also many startups um, to try to, uh, you know, have entirely new, you know, even Google has a new chip architecture called the TPU mm-hmm. um, and they're trying to scale that up. And many other companies are, are taking wax at this. And so that, that that's going to be fun to watch. Um, and then the big one is the data. Um, yeah. And so if, if, if there's one concern that people in the space have that you won't be able to improve these things much beyond where they are, it basically is a theory that, you know, maybe the, the, the existing companies have already kind of exhausted the universe of training data. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe, maybe they have like half the world's data already because it's just on the Internet. And then maybe they can get, you know, double that amount of data and then they're kind of out of data. And then there's this question. There's this actually very fundamental science question, which is will synthetic data be useful or not? Mm. in training in training uh, ais right um and 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 you know there's there's one school of thought that says yes it's going to be very useful another school of thought that says no it's not yeah um and so and again very smart people working on this and so if if there's a breakthrough in the use of synthetic data for training then maybe limitations in real, real real world data actually won't be a problem could, could we talk about the data part a little bit because i think one uh, realization for a few sites on the internet is they yeah. basically woke up and they saw that uh ChatGPT, OpenAI, or a bunch of the elements were trained on their data. There's kind of this great graph which shows Stack Overflow's, uh, you know, usage. Yeah. 
yeah. dropping down as ChatGPT's usage grew up. I know it's unclear correlation causation, but that is definitely a perception. And you know, you could also say, for example, I don't know if it's true, but you know, uh, there's some chat about, for example, some of the Reddit stuff has been tied to that. But I do think there's been this broad theme of the internet has had all this data where anybody could, you know, a web crawler could go out and get it. Uh, and now it's being, you know, served through these LLMs and being monetized in all these ways. And you could hear some of these companies are like, whoa, hold on a second. Like, we need to get paid. It's our data. It's our data. We need to get paid. Or, you know, it somehow violates the contract of the, the unspoken contract, if you will, of the internet. Like, what do you think about that? Yeah, it's a little bit of a version of the debate that happened with search engines, right? Mm -hmm. Robot.txt, like, you know, yeah. Right, which is like, you know, a lot of a lot of primary content websites, and, you know, like news publishers, there's still these huge debates happening in a bunch of countries around like how news gets indexed and... Mm -hmm. In uh, in uh, search engines or on social media sites, and there's kind of this push and a pull thing, which is on the one hand they are you know they they often get furious when their data is used without getting paid. On the other hand, they want the promotion, right? They, mm -hmm. they, they you know they want the distribution. You know, they, they, the only thing, if you're like a news site on the internet, the only thing worse than showing up in Google News is not showing up in Google News, <laughs> right, yeah. right? So or, or, or on Facebook or whatever. So. Um, so yeah, so this has been kind of an issue that's been building for a while. Um, you know, th this is another version of that issue. It's within, you know, a lot of these platform companies or content companies, it's obviously within their legal rights, you know, to restrict the use of their data and to demand payment in a, in a free market system, um, you know, to do that. Um, you know, the, the total set of those that have like throw weight is not a large number, right? So it's, and you know, you can kind of list them. It's like Twitter, you know, tw Twitter is a big one, Reddit is a big one. Um, and then, you know, there's, and then there's like Stack Overflow, there's a set of verticals. Um, yeah, and so a bunch of those companies have been. I mean, Elon's been public about this mm -hmm. already with Twitter as well, which is you know they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna charge for this. Obviously, Reddit's been moving to do this. Um, so you know that, that that's fine. Um, you know, look, but 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 having said that, like, look, there 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 are lots. There's lots of other data in the world. Um, there's lots of other ways to get data. Um, you know, for example, one of the things that you can literally do, right? It, it, look, I'll come back to the data synthesis in a second, but one of the things you can literally do is you can hire people to make data. It may be. What that, does that know, mean? What is synthetic data? So you can hire people to make data would be actually would be actually paying people to make new human generated data. Yeah. So that that's that's one approach you could do, right? So so instead of for example, instead of paying Stack Overflow, you could just hire a bunch of programmers and have them start answer a whole bunch of programming yeah. questions. Right, right. Right. Got and it. then use that as data. Or, or lawyers um, or PhDs or, or so on and so forth. Right. Yeah, exactly. And like look, the world <laughs> the world is a wash in grad students um uh who uh who my understanding is do not get paid well mm -hmm. um by their extremely uh, uh wealthy universities. And so uh why not? Yeah, well, you know, maybe they should all go to work training AIs. Um and then, yeah, so synthetic data. So the idea of synthetic data is the other idea, which is basically have, have computers generate the data. And let me give you the, the two schools of thought, basically, on whether this will not work or work. So mm -hmm. the, the idea that this will not work, is, it, it's, this, it's, it's this idea of information theory. So Claude Shannon, for people who have heard about him, yeah. it's this idea, basically, that, um, you know, like human-generated ge data has signal, which is to say, like, you know, if the human answered a question or whatever, there was, like, human thought that went into it. And then you kind of train up AI to, you know, to do things. And then the AI, you know, it, it, the AI answers a bunch of questions. And then you use the answers to those questions as training data, right, for the next AI, right? So think about it as like one AI making training data for another AI or even an AI making training data for itself. And so if you, if you take like a strict information theory approach to it, you would say that those, those answers have no additional signal that wasn't already in the human generated data. Um, right, like, like in other words, if all of the answers coming out of an AI mm -hmm. are all derived from the tr the human training data that went into it, mm -hmm. then why would those answers have any original signal that would actually be additive in value for training mm -hmm. the next AI? Yep. 
and and some people believe strongly that like that's the case and so therefore and so therefore there are real barriers to being able to uncover new data because you actually need to pay people right uh, or do other very expensive things to be able to get more data um you know look the, the 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 other idea basically is no actually you know many computer systems can generate new data off of simple rules already today and a and a, and a great example of that is how we train self-driving cars mm. right the way we train we train self-driving cars is we take the ai that drives a self-driving car and we, we put it in a simulation environment um and we create random simulations like in a video game right uh like in a driving video game you literally mm -hmm. create simulations of like millions and millions and millions of different traffic situations and then you have the AI navigate through all those situations and get into accidents and run off the road and do all kinds of crazy stuff. And then you have it learn from all those simulations. Um, and so in a similar way, you know, actually maybe machines with a relatively small amount of initial rules can generate, you know, millions and millions of new, you know, basically answers to questions that actually contain, you know, new signal. Um, and, and so I, I don't know which way this goes. This is one of the sort of, I, I call this, th my term for this kind of thing is a trillion dollar question. Yeah. Um, uh, because depending on whether, where this question goes, there's like a trillion dollars hanging in the balance yeah. as right. to whether these companies can get to like much more sophisticated AIs. I hope synthetic data works. A lot of smart people are working on it and, and we'll see. You know, in your post, I think you talked about a lot of amazing applications, uh, and we could probably spend time going down all of them, but I think there's one which I want to go around, which is education. Uh, you know, I have a, I have a friend, uh, this uh, teenager, uh, this seventeen year old, like based in Dubai, that I play games with, and you know, all of a sudden he talked to me about ChatGPT, and I was like, huh, I don't know you're using ChatGPT, and you know, because he seemed a little, you know far away from technology, and he was telling me how ChatGPT has totally changed his classroom, right? Like everybody uses it, fundamentally changed, you know, how they tackle education. His teachers, you know, are not exactly able to uh, cope with it. it. Yeah. Uh, and I was thinking, you know, this is kid on the other side of the world, and it is like, you know, uh, it, and he's not like, you know, part of the scene here, but it's really kind of like changed how we think about education. And it's only been like a few months since ChatGPT came out, right? So you can imagine how this plays out. So I am curious, you know, how you see ChatGPT AI impacting education. If you are a lecturer, if you're a teacher, a professor, how how should you respond to that? Where does this all go in education? Yeah, so I'm I'm a radical on this topic, and and you can you can tell me if I'm if I'm if I'm if going off the deep end on this one. But, but it's too late for that. You've already gone to the deep end, so it's like yeah, it's it's too just late. <laughs> just keep going, keep going. This is not this is not the thing that's going to tip it. Yeah. Okay, all right, got it. So look, the modern education system already has serious problems, um, and those problems derive from its structure at I think a very fundamental level. Um, and the, what I mean by that is the structure of modern education. Is, is basically 100, it's about 110, 120 years old. It was a structure that was created in the 1900s, 1910s during what was known as the second industrial revolution. Uh, it was created at the same time we got mass manufacturing. Um, you know, the idea basically was, and there were a set of experts that figured this out. Um, the idea was basically we need to educate kids the way that we like produce Model T's in a factory. Um, and we need to like basically systematize it and right mechanize it and abstract it. Um, and so there needs to be like, you know, five kids in a row, five rows, teacher at the top, you know, there needs to be like the bells going, you know, it's mm -hmm. 45 minute classes, the bells going off, you know, the structure, you know, yeah. <laughs> so it's like schools and jails are run like much the same way and like not by accident. Let's put it that way. And factories. Right. They're, they're, you know, so that's, it's, it's this sort of rote system. And, the, and then, you, I mean, you guys know this, like a lot of quote unquote modern education is, is based, it's, it's effectively memorization. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, it's basically this very artificial construct where you're fed a bunch of information that may or may not ever be relevant to you. And you're expected to kind of regurgitate it back up during a test. And by the way, if you forget it after the test, nobody cares. No, you know, nobody ever calls you on it. I mean, I've never used, you know, 
I, you know, like vast majority of math that I learned in school, I've never used in my mm-hmm. life. By the way, the vast majority of math that I've actually needed as an adult, I wasn't taught in school, right? So like- Yes, that's true. There's, yeah. there's just this, you know, I don't like, yeah, this is one of my hobby horses. Why they're teaching algebra and calculus and not statistics yeah. is just simply beyond me. But anyway, yeah. we, we, we can talk about that another time. Um, so anyway, like it's this, it's it's basically mechanized, mechanized, industrialized education. And it's just like, okay, look, if we're training kids to be factory workers, like this probably makes sense. Yeah. Right. Or to work in, you know, these giant offices where you've got, you know, hundreds of desks in a row or whatever. For a modern world in which like most kids are going to go out and they're going to like do something that's going to involve like, you know, creativity, flexibility, you know, adapting to change. You know, they're going to have to basically, you know, run projects. They're going to have to work together in teams. They're going to have to learn new skills, mm-hmm. right? They're going to have to synthesize information. They're going to have to like, you know, learn how to, you know, learn how to, you know, learn how to learn the things they don't already know. Um, you know, they're going to have to write. They're going to have to speak, right? Um, like that stuff's not taught in school. Like that's, that's not what they teach you. Yeah. Um, and so like, so I think that problem has been building for like 80 years or something. And of course, education is, you know, in most countries like a government cartel. And so, of course, it has no intention of adapting. Um, optimistically, you know, I would say that maybe LLMs are like a big enough change that they kind of cause the whole thing to break um, in what I would consider to be a very positive way, um, which is just like, you know, look, the idea of like f- completing a test on material you're never going to be asked to use ever again. Like, yeah, the machine can do that. The idea of writing a two-page essay that nobody's ever going to read, yeah, the machine can do that, right? Like, you know, it's the, it, yes, yes, it does your homework for you. Okay, if the machine can do your homework for you, why on earth is that your homework, mm-hmm. right? It, it doesn't make any sense, right? <laughs> um, and so, you know, so so anyway, so then I think you can think creatively and think, okay, like if you were designing education from scratch today, how you design it? And I think the answer is obvious, which is it would be centered around learning how to use this technology, right? Um, and you would, you would, you, you the entire education, you could easily imagine the entire education curriculum being designed around using AI and you just have it be, yes, of course, you're not doing anything on your own. Of course, you're doing everything with AI. Of course, when it comes time to like present your class project, of course, you, you know, the AI is working with you on creating the presentation, like obviously, like it's like the central tool in your life and will be for you know, for the, for the next century. Hmm. Um, and so I, I, you know, I, I would tilt like, just like incredibly hard into it and like rebuild the entire thing. Now the existing educational institutions are of course not going to do that. Um, but however, I would say this presents an opportunity, um, you know, which is anybody starting a new school today. Right. Or by the way, you know, countries that maybe have a, you know, somewhat more, you know, I would say, let's say an easier time adapting to change than maybe the United States does. You know, there's a big opportunity here, um, and, and you can imagine a much better education system that uh, you know using this yeah. technology than the, than the one we have now. And it's true too. For example, in talk to folks in India, um, you know, you already see a lot of teachers kind of just plumbing onto this because it just kind of puts them on par with education systems here, even if they're in the middle of nowhere. It's just like a huge step function change. Think about great it is. Every kid from here on out for the rest, of, like, if the technology is not banned, mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't believe I have to say that. Um, hide your floating point processors. If floating point processors are still legal yes. in, in five years, um, <laughs> and we're not living in an authoritarian super state with like random airstrikes raining down on rogue silicon, um, every kid from now, you know, for the you know the next millennium is going to start out life with an AI teacher tutor assistant, coach, mentor, friend, ally, mm-hmm. right? Who is going to be right there at their side every step of the way, every question. I mean, you, you guys know this, like kids have a lot of questions. 
Um, You know, most kids have the questioning instinct beaten out of them, right? By the education system and by the broader culture. Like every question can be answered by a, you know, an AI, a machine that is infinitely patient, super excited to get the questions, super excited to answer the questions. If the student doesn't understand it, can say, could you explain it to me a different way? Could you use an example? Could you simplify it? Could you give me a more a more complete answer? And the machine's like, absolutely, I'd be happy to. Like, I mean, what an amazing thing. Like, it's just like, it's the, I mean, I, I can't even imagine if I'd had this as a kid. Like uh, how what what like a spectacular like improvement um, on, on on my quality of life it, it it would have been and I and and that opportunity is now going to be literally available to every kid on earth. I mean, it's just like it, it maybe is like the single biggest thing that's ever happened. I oh. think just you saying this, I think every parent listening to this is like a light bulb going oh, yes. off in their heads, being like, the questions. Oh my god, the questions! If the questions, <laughs> oh yeah. If you can have any one person AI thing to like answer these, but actually be excited about answering them, wouldn't you want that? So I taught one of the fun things you can do. This is what I taught my, my, my kids eight. What I taught them how to do is like, you can say, look, explain whatever, explain this to me like I'm eight. Yeah. Yep. You know, I'm hey, an eight year old hey, kid. I asked that, you know, uh, yeah, uh, I take the- <laughs> I'm an eight year old kid. Why is the sky blue? Right. And like, and, and what I tell him is like, look, if you don't understand the question, then say, you know, answer it like I'm five. Mm-hmm. And if it's giving you a too simple minded of an explanation, say, answer it for me like I'm 15. And mm-hmm. like you, you can, and you the can- machine is like, completely capable of dialing that up and down oh, gosh, um great. and yeah and so as a consequence or, or, and like i said before like you can just simply say teach me you can literally just say teach me teach me yep do, do you, and it's just like it is absolutely delighted to do it um do you think this somehow uh last one or two questions that we let you go I promise um do you think this somehow takes the place of human relationships because a lot of things you talked about you know that is a human in the loop, right? There is, you know, a, a teacher, teacher. There yeah. is a friend you talk to. You know, we have obviously AI coaches, AI your coworkers, AI friends, yeah. AI lovers, um, and you know, some of these are obviously, you know, hopefully, uh, or actually, you know, sometimes not, you know, uh, done by human beings, right? And human beings interacting with one another. Do you think there is a a possibility where human relationships we know today get replaced by people interacting with AI? to give them companionship, to show them love, to show them affection, um, you know, all those things that only humanity can provide today. If yes, I can't wait. Yeah, but, uh, well, okay. if, and, and <laughs> if so, if yes, if that is possible, is that a good or a bad thing? So, and again, this is where I think people sort of paint these very dystopian visions. Um, I mean, so look, a couple things. So one is, look, like, are people going to have like relationships with AIs? Like, absolutely. Like they, they already do. Um, and, the, you know, there are already services online yeah. where you, you can you can see this happening today. So that, that that's 100%. Um, you know, is that weird or unusual? It's like, I don't know. Like people have relationships with like a lot of things, right? Like, you know, people have relationships. We had a family friendly show over here before you go on to the next sentence. <laughs> people have relationships with <laughs> cartoons. Like you have a relationship with like, you know, I don't know. You have a relationship with like Mickey Mouse. You have a relationship with Bambi. You have a relationship with like the kids in South Park. Like you have a relationship with like the Pixar characters. Like pe- people have, re- people have, you know, look, people respond emotionally to animated cartoons. Um, people have relationships, you know, kids have, you know, this kids have relationships with their stuffed animals. Like, mm-hmm. so, 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 so there is a human capability to be able to have relationships. Get your with, mind you know, off people. the gutter, Shiro. Uh, I, I am not, <laughs> my mind is not in the gutter. I just want to be clear. I am being like completely, I'm not even, I am so being so innocent right now. I'm not even G rated. There's exactly yeah. one person in this conversation that has, is having filthy thoughts right now. Uh, keep going. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. You know, look, we're we're, we're social creatures. Like, yeah. so, so, there, yeah. So, so, look, we're, we have relationships. Yeah. Lots of things. We're gonna have relationships with AIs. That's great. 
uh, you know, are there some people who are going to take it too far? Yes, probably there are some people going to take it too far. Mm -hmm. Does it make sense to have a blend of human and, you know, AI relationships in your life for most people? Probably yes. Do a lot of people actually not have great human relationships today? Yes. Like a lot of people don't have a good teacher in their lives. A lot of people don't have a best friend. A lot of people don't have a mentor. A lot of people don't have a coach. A lot of people don't have a therapist. A lot of people don't have like there's a you know a lot of people are missing human contact at a, at a very fundamental level. And so like is is the machine you know is a, is a machine I don't know is a machine teacher better than like a great human teacher? Like maybe not. Do most students have a great human teacher? No, they don't. Right. Um, and so th there's this like incredibly powerful. Yep you know, kind of capability. Again, so I think augmentation, there's this incredibly powerful capability that, yeah. that people can have. And, I, and and again, this is one of those things where like over, overwhelmingly, I think this is going to be a net uh, positive for quality of life very broadly. All right. This is going to come out of nowhere for our viewers, but I wanted to ask you this. I'm going to ask you to define a phrase and explain what it means to you. And I have no idea how to pronounce this. And I don't think it's been a word. Yes, you do. Oh, well, okay. prepared for this. What does the phrase immanitize the eschaton mean to you? Immanitize the eschaton. So this is a famous phrase in the history of sort of uh, religious political philosophy. Uh, it was a better known phrase 50 or 60 years ago than it is now. It's very relevant to the whole AI doomer, um, you know, sort of the whole singularity thing on the one hand, and then sort of the AI apocalypse on the other hand. I'll, I'll explain why. Um, some of you, as you're hearing this, will have a nagging memory of having heard this phrase. If you've heard this phrase, it's from a series of books called the Illuminatus Trilogy, uh, written by, uh, two authors in the 1970s, which I highly recommend. Um, it's, uh, one of the, one of the best, most entertaining. Have you guys read that book, by the way? No, I have no, not. No, I have not, actually. I feel, oh, I didn't I feel know bad. It was in a book. I okay. feel bad. You, you guys will love this. So it's a trilogy. It's called the Illuminatus Trilogy. And the, it's the conceit of the trilogy is that, um, all the conspiracy th theories are true. Um, and Ooh, it, it's one I of, it's, it. it's one, it's one of these books. You'll be, sh you'll be shocked when you read it that you know, you, you hadn't discovered it. It's like a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy kind of thing. Like okay. it, it's of that level of creativity and, and it, it, it'll stick with you. And so anyway, the, the, the characters in that book are trying to monetize the eschaton. The eye uh, in so the pyramid, the golden apple Leviathan. Uh, those three, those three. And then they compile it into a book called the, the, the Illuminatus Trilogy. So, but it, but it's a serious idea. Before they the, the, they used the idea in the book, but it goes back before that. Uh, it was used originally uh, originated in the, like the 1950s, 1960s by a philosopher named Eric Vogelin, mm -hmm. um, who is one of the brightest kind of thinkers in the 20th century on the nature of sort of the intersection of religion and, and politics. Um, and and what immanentize the eschaton means. Um, so eschaton basically means um, heaven on earth. Um, or, you know, equivalently, maybe hell on earth, right? So uh, eschaton is, you know, in, in sort of the Christian religion, um, you know, there's like the second coming, right? And then there's the thousand years of Jesus, um, you know, ruling mm -hmm. um, and the dead being raised. And then there's ultimately, you know, the, you know the, the sort of the book of Revelations, the apocalypse and so forth. And so Christianity has its version of the eschaton. Um, sometimes you'll hear the term in religious studies, eschatology, which is kind of the study of, 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 of the second coming or the study of the arrival of heaven on earth. Other religions have, you know, variations on this, you know, it's, it's basically, it's the moment when everything changes, right? Mm -hmm. It's the moment when the world transforms. It's sort of the arrival of the ultimate vision of, of, of whatever a religion mm -hmm. has been kind of, kind of pushing towards. Um, so, so that's what that or, or, or an equivalent version of that is what's called the eschaton. And then immanentizing, um, is basically the, it's basically literally translated as like saturating, but it basically means like the complete replacement of the right. world as we know it today. And the, re the, the replacement of today's world with this kind of, with, with basically with the arrival of heaven on earth. Um, 
And then in religious studies, there's this concept of Gnosticism, which mm -hmm. is uh, where it starts with a G, G-N-O-S, mm -hmm. Gnosticism. Um, and Gnosticism is this, in, in, in for, for Christian religious scholars, what, what I'll tell you is Gnosticism is a Christian heresy that's been running basically in various forms since the orig origination of Christianity 2,000 years ago. And, and Gnosticism is basically like if you're Catholic, for example, what your priest will tell you or what the religious authorities will tell you is that Gnosticism is an attempt by human beings to uh, usurp the role of God um, and in the place of God substitute what's called Gnosis, uh, spelled G-N-O-S-I-S. Um, and Gnosis is literally secret knowledge. Yeah. Um, and so the idea of a Gnostic heresy is that instead of basically relying on God to bring us heaven on earth, that we as humans will develop a secret knowledge that will permit us to do it ourselves. And so, and of course, the, you know, the Catholic Church has hated this for literally 2,000 years because it's basically, you know, it's literally, it's literally heretical. It's basically man declaring mm -hmm. himself God mm -hmm. uh, on the basis of the secret knowledge. And of course, the idea of secret knowledge is very kind of deeply rooted um, in, in philosophy. I'll just give you two examples. So the, the Greeks had this concept they called techne, T-E-C-H-N-E, -E, which was basically, uh, which is the derivation of the word technology, technology yeah. uh, which is basically secret knowledge. And then Christians, of course, the origin, the origin, the origin of the Christian, you know, myth of the Garden of Eden, or the, 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 the religious idea of the Garden of Eden, you know, is, you know, what is, what is, what is, what does Adam do that gets him in all that trouble and gets him in all that trouble? He eats from the tree of knowledge, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? He, he gets yeah. the secret knowledge, right? Um, you know, that he was never supposed to have. You know, because the the snake tricks him into doing it, and then he spreads the secret knowledge to Eve, and that's why they get kicked out of paradise, and that's why humanity lives in a fallen state. Uh, and so, anyway, like it, it's this very deeply rooted thing that like there's something about secret knowledge that's either really amazing, which is it can either deliver like basically paradise on earth, like literally like heaven on earth, or it's like a form of secret knowledge that can basically destroy everything. Mm -hmm. uh, right. Anyway, so th this is like the, right. the this is the way Eric Vogelman describes it. Um, of course, AI doomerism is of course exactly what I just described. Like it's AI doomerism is a is a is a classic secular example of basically a Gnostic heresy. Um, what is the secret knowledge? What is the gnosis? Of course, it's AI, right? It's the ability to build AI. Mm -hmm. um, what is heaven on earth? It is using AI to bring about the singularity. Mm -hmm. Right. And and remember the, the, the basis of the idea of the singularity, right, is it's the moment at which everything changes. Right. It's the moment at which mankind no longer can predict what happens in the sequence of human affairs. It's a discontinuous break in human affairs in which everything is different on the other end by applying the secret knowledge. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, what is the AI apocalypse? It is basically in pursuit of trying to achieve the singularity and trying to uh, achieve heaven on Earth. Instead, we generate hell on Earth. Yeah. Right, which is the mirror image, but in the same way, it's this. This is the thing with doomerism. It's why they always push it to the ultimate kind of thing of like, oh my god, it's going to destroy everything or change everything. Is this because it's going to be, like, you know, it can't just be something that's like sometimes good, sometimes bad. It has to be something that's like utterly transformational. Um, and so what's ha what, what's happened with AI doomerism specifically is you have a a, a lot of extremely smart atheists. Um, who are basically disconnected from the religious tradition of their civilization, um, who have backed themselves into a classic Gnostic, Gnostic heresy, and they're playing out the exact same script that Vogelin describes and that the Catholic Church has been describing for, you know, for as it describes, uh, you know, uh, Gnosticism for thousands of years. Uh, they're playing out the exact same thing. It's, it's why they get so freaked out Right, because like, how can you not get freaked out about the end of the world? Um, and, and and it's and, it, and it's why the claims are so fundamentally non-empirical, right? It's it's why there's there's no testable hypothesis. It's why there are no metrics, right? It's it's why you get these kind of extreme, you know, kind of you know conclusions up to up to and including you know potentially nuclear war to prevent it from happening. 
is because you believe it is that transformational. So it's a, it's what it's what Vogelin described as a uh, as a political religion or a secular religion. It's why your piece is blasphemous uh, uh, in the scheme of things. Um, uh, yes. You know, there's this whole theory that you know, if in the absence of religion, people invent things which look like religion to take the place that religion holds in hearts of men and society. And you know, this kind of fits a pattern. Okay, wow. You know, there's been a time when in our show we used to talk about stuff like holding meetings and remote work. And, <laughs> you know, here we are talking about the second coming of Christ. Um, all right. So, all right. We're going to let you go. Short question and answer. Um, for people listening, give us some chat GPT prompts. Or your favorite so read, I would just say read read the Luminatus trilogy um, yes, on I, the topic I already of ordered it. It's yes. coming from then, Amazon uh, on Tuesday. So right. I'm excited for that. Yeah. And then there's a short, there's a serious book. So Eric Vogelin, um, V-O-G-E-L-E-I-N, wrote a book called, I think it's called The New Science of Politics. I think in the 1950s, it's a short book. And it, it describes, if you're interested in what I was just talking about, it describes uh, exactly this process. And as you read it, you'll be like, oh, yes, <laughs> he's describing exactly what's happening here. Yeah. So yeah, Mark, people are one hour, 45 minutes in, right? By this time, if they're listening, they're definitely buying this book, right? Like, okay, uh, okay. for oh, sure. This is great. Yeah, this is great. Uh, I'd also highly recommend bu people buying um, Private Lies, uh, public truth. It's actually a bit hard to find, but highly, highly recommend that people go out and buy that. It's one of our favorite books too. And if hypothetically, if hypothetically you have a hard time finding one of these books because their publishers have been irresponsible at letting them go out of print. Um, yeah, I see a collectible edition. I see a Kindle version. Yeah, I see no, hold on, hold on. Okay, buy, collectible. Okay, buy the Kindle version. Do not, do not go to the pirate website that I was about to. Uh, yeah, they, do not. Yes. Uh, oh, but I saw a collectible one. I, yeah. I like the paper book. Yeah, you don't see me shaking my head here to stop Mark from saying the next sentence I knew he was about <laughs> to say. <laughs> no. 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 Bad idea. Uh, bring us home. Favorite chat GPT prompts. I mean, so for fun, um, for fun, I go straight to Seinfeld scripts um, uh, and uh, uh, of increasingly outlandish um, um, uh, uh, scenarios. Uh, my, my favorite one so far is the Seinfeld gang goes to a Donald Trump rally. These AIs, they're so nice, right? They're so nice. They're so pleasant. Like, contra the vision of like, you know, that they're, they're the Terminator or something. They're so nice and pleasant. And so if you ask them to write fiction, they always want everybody to get along at the end of the story. Mm. Uh, or at the end of the script. And so instead I feed it like, I feed it very specific instructions. Like, you know, the situation just gets more tense and paranoid, you know, as time yeah. passes. And, and then inevitably, inevitably for some reason, all of my scripts turn into like ninja fights. Uh, you have, you have seen the uh, Twitch, Twitch stream that, you know, which, uh, you know, makes these things into actual animated cartoons, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah so there's like the infinite Seinfeld. Um, and then there's another one I haven't seen yet, but apparently there's an infinite family guy. Um, oh, I haven't it, seen that. Yeah, that apparently is quite funny. So yeah, so those those are great. Um, and then the the serious prompt, the the one that I really enjoy playing with is something along the lines of, and you can do this for lots of different things, but because yeah. you can kind of probe, I'm really curious to see kind of how it sort of gets this question of how how creative these things really are, or how many inferences they they can draw that aren't obvious. Um, and so like like for example, um, list ten psychological phenomena um that are you know referred to in like fictional portrayals of human behavior um like in novels but do not have official terms oh yes yeah you you unshared it with us okay. yeah that, that's right. Right. And, and, then, and then by the way it proposed terms away. yeah and and so it's like it's like you know because like so there's this, one of the theories of like human language is like the most richly developed area of human language is the area that describes people, right? Because that's like the most important thing to us. And so we have all these, any different language has all these different words to describe behavior. 
but then there's like, there's all these behaviors that maybe we just haven't gotten around to making words for yet. But like we, you know, we notice in our lives um, and we just have a hard time talking about. Yeah. And so, I, and, and so there's like a two part thing here, which is one is there's like a useful thing to do, which is to actually try to figure these things out, but also trying to get a sense of like in the machine, how well can it, how well can the machine itself understand human behavior? Wait, what's an example? I'm curious. No, but you should, you should actually try this prompt and okay. see the 10. Right. It'll blow right. you away. All right. It's, All right. it's Yeah, it's cool. great. It's great. It's great. And then, uh, yeah. And then, and then by the way, you know, the great thing about these things is you say, that's great. You know, give me 10 more and yeah. then 10 more and 10 more and 10 more. And like, it, it, it it's, it's, it's astonishing. It, it, for me, it's just like, wow, this thing actually, this thing actually understands human behavior like way better mm-hmm. um, than I think we, we would assume. Um, by the answers it's able to give. Um, another fun one that's not mine, um, it's uh, uh, Alex, Alexandros uh, Marinos came up with it um, and he talked about it, but it's really fascinating, um, which again gets this question of creativity, which is what are ideas, um, g- give me examples of ideas uh, from different disciplines of science uh, where it's the same idea, but each discipline of science, yeah, it's, it's, it's an idea in one discipline of science where they're the same ideas in another discipline of science, but under a different name. Name. Right. Brilliant. Right? Yeah. Um, right. Or, you know, an equivalent query would be, you know, um, for the idea of, you know, a specific idea, natural mm-hmm. selection and evolution. Um, what other fields of science have that same idea under different names? Names. Yeah. Right. Oh, nice. That's, that's a good right? one. Right. And to sort of draw out commonalities and thought yeah. process that yeah. maybe people in those fields haven't even realized, you know, basically correspond to each other. So again, like, is, is does it understand sort of at a deep level of how hu- human reasoning works? This, oh, yeah, hold on, hold on. I, this I, is not the exact prompt. But, so you're getting a different set of results, but this is also very impressive. I had to find out for myself what the previous okay, point you made. read out the prompt. All right, okay. I asked, uh, give me examples of human behavior in fiction that we don't have terms in psychology for, which is not exactly the same thing you said, but I think it's very close up. And uh, okay, the first one, I'll read it one. Uh, Frodo's ring syndrome. In Lord of the Rings, Frodo Baggins endures a specific type of temptation and corruption by the one ring. Uh, while some of this is similar to addiction, the ring is both a source of power, but also moral degradation at the same time. The kind of struggle that we don't experience, it, well, we don't have a term for. So, wow, this is deep shit. Yes, it is. Exactly. It's awesome. <laughs> I mean, it's like, great at like discriminating re- patterns. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. This is the reaction I keep having, which is just like, oh my God, like whenever it's happening and it'll come up with that, like this is new. On that note. On that note, Mark, <laughs> truly a delight. If somebody's trying to monetize, AI doomerism is what it takes for you to come back online and write a piece on Substack and yeah. you know be on Twitter and show up here. We'll take it. Yeah, we have demonetized the eschaton on this podcast just a little bit. On that note, Mark, <laughs> always a delight. Thank, come Thank back you. again. Thank you so so much.